Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. It's the podcast where we read your mail and talk about where it. Where we have got mail. Yes. Anyway, the point is, this is your podcast. We only answer the letters. My name is William Bibiani. I am a film critic for The Rap and Bloody Disgusting, and everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I'm a film critic for IGN, and whoever else will have me. And, and they'd be lucky to have you. Yeah, well, they Luke sure would get would, off the counter. They sure would. <laughs> seconds. Seconds and, uh, into the podcast. And, and our, our tertiary host is Luca the cat. Luca is wow. a very naughty cat. Luca's a very young cat. Luca's not yet two, if I recall. No, he's about a year and a half. About a year and a half. A little, little, little more than that, I guess. Now, so he still has the mind of a kitten, but now the body of a, like a panther. It's like a, <laughs> just a gigantic cat at this point. Yeah, it's pretty big. And so, yes, he's constantly causing trouble in in William's apartment here. Anyway, uh, Wendy and I get a lot of uh, letters from our various mm-hmm. listeners, and we sure do appreciate it. And uh, we want to give you a podcast every week where you get to dictate the conversation. Get to ask us questions, raise criticisms, look for recommendations. Whatever you want, really, we're open books. You can email us, letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. And, uh, yeah, we're not going to waste any more time. This is your podcast. You get to decide. Whitney, where are we beginning? Well, we're going to start with a correction. Oh, no. Because here here comes a letter from Dara, and this is a very important correction, because this is a correction to my vocabulary. Oh. Um, It says, guys, I'm not sure enervate means uh, what one of you think it means. Uh-oh. And I think that's me, because this is the way I use enervate. Uh, from the Merriam-Webster Online Dictionary, enervate is a word that some people use without really knowing what it means. They seem to believe that enervate, because it looks a little bit like energize and invigorate, must share their meaning. It is actually their antonym. Oh, snap! Yeah, enervate means the opposite. Enervate means, like, drab and dreary? Yeah, or? yeah. Uh, and there, there's even a link to the online dictionary. Oh. Lacking physical, mental, or moral vigor. Enervated. Wow. So I that will, doesn't sound right at all. I will it? correct my own dang vocabulary because yeah. that is not uh, not what it means. I was <sighs> using um, the word. I was misusing the word erstwhile for a long time mm. until I looked it up. What, what does no, it mean? Well, I thought erstwhile meant like contemporaneous, it oh, meant th- something no, we, that was constantly going on. No, it means former. It means former. Yeah. I, I was okay. misusing it. That See, one I knew. Okay, that, well, was, that was not one I knew. That was one I had forgotten about, or English, not forgotten about, just never learned correctly. I was this right now. Hmm. The English language kind of sucks. Eng- oh, it's gosh. really confusing. Hmm. Like we we were used to it because we speak it and we grew up speaking it. Uh-huh. You talk to anyone who like had to learn English, especially as like an adult. Yeah, the rules are weird, and there's tons of exceptions, and it really is a very, very odd language in a lot of ways. So, yeah, yeah, uh, like it's it's mostly mostly Germanic based, but it also takes heavy heavy influences from the Romance languages mm-hmm. and doesn't bear any kind of resemblance. A lot of people like uh, English because it's sort of like a it's like a patchwork. It's like a ransom letter of a language. <laughs> uh, it just takes bits and pieces of things from here and there, which means it's a little bit more versatile. Um, in some respects. In some respects, I think it, that's true. Uh, there's there's no gendering of like our nouns, for instance, as there is in other languages. Uh, there's uh, no inflection to English verbs. And by inflection, I mean you need more than one word to describe a verb. If you look at the infinitive form of our verbs, we need two words. Like, to speak is a verb, like a verbal phrase in English. Whereas in most languages, that would be one word. Like in Latin, that would be one word. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
and and, it and because, French for to be exactly. Uh, yeah. We we need two words, two and be, to, yeah. to describe that that state. Uh, and that said, uh, in other in many other languages, in the Romance languages in particular, like the object and the subject of your sentence will be will have like different endings, like yeah. different forms. So you can actually rearrange many other languages however you like, and still know what the subject and the object of the sentence are. It's really strange. word order in English is actually more important than in other languages. It's actually really strange when you know like a little bit. Of uh, of another language, and then you watch a film from that language, and mm. you see the subtitles, and you realize that like it's not quite right. Well, yeah. it's, it is, and it isn't. Like this is probably what the closest mm. like actual translation would be. But if you're going by literal translation, yeah. the words are in the wrong places mm. and everything. And you say to yourself, "Am I getting this right or not?" It's, mm. it's a little distracting. Well, I think if if you know the language and you take the meaning of the spoken word, yeah. and then you see what the translation is. You get the meaning. Well, it's this like, is why like we in, have... in French, uh, the the word d'accord uh, just means like sure or okay or that's yeah. all right, and that could be translated any number of those ways into mm-hmm. English, uh, depending on the context. Sure. Well, again, this is why we have so many different translations of the same text. It's mm-hmm. not as literal as that word means that, and now we're good. Like yeah. you're trying to get across the implication and the mm-hmm. inflection and the subtleties. It's there's but, a lot uh, to it. It's but there's a lot to it, and enervate is now uh, now struck from the record in in the way I was using it. Uh, yeah, if you ever heard gone. us use that word before on the podcast, yes, it's, strike that, reverse it. Thank you. Yeah, so this is a very enervating film. I will not say that anymore Whoops. because I was misusing that. So thank you, Dara. Seriously, thank for that you. kind of correction, I love that sort of thing yeah. because a, a feeling like an ass makes me feel alive and. Uh, <laughs> So that's and why you're so that's, that's, you're so vital, <laughs> so young at such a old age. I feel I feel guilty and like an ass all the time. I'm, I, I spring out of bed and feel guilty. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I always want to sort of hone. We're writers, so I always yeah. want to kind of hone in on language a little bit better. Well, we're always learning all the time. Language mm. is evolving. Our understanding of language mm. evolves. Uh, there's been a big sort of um, leap forward, I find, in sort of appreciating etymology, the origins of words, mm-hmm. and how we learn that certain words have actually really like ugly or, and ugly origins, ugly yeah. origins, and we want to maybe not use them anymore, or at least use them differently. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so it's actually really fascinating, and again, always appreciated, and by all means, always correct our vocabulary. Yeah, if yeah, we're using sure. a word wrong, we want to know. Now, um, we recently had a Best of the Decade episode yes, we where we talked about the best films of the decade, and uh, that ha- and we encouraged our listeners to write in. So yep. there's going to be a lot of lists this episode. Yes, I'm excited. Uh, I love hearing... Uh, last, uh, the last episode we did was two weeks ago, and then I went out of town and we couldn't mm-hmm. do one for a week. Sorry about that. Uh, we heard so many titles on people's best of list that totally surprised me. <laughs> and I, I buy all of them. They're all good mm-hmm. picks. I just never thought they, we'd yeah. hear so many. So let's... Let's get into it. So here is a best of the decade list from Nick. Hello, Nick. Hi, Nick. Uh, Hey, guys. My list is in no particular order because no one's paying me to rank them. (laughs) That is wise. That's very Um, wise. uh, uh, First up on the list, Todd Haynes' Carol. Mm. Absolutely stunning gripping, nail polish, and as a nail polish obsessive, Kate Blanchett's manicure as a visual storytelling device elates me. (laughs) You'd you'd hate my nail polish job. I got some gel nail polish for the first time. It looks nice. It's a good color, but it's all lumpy and not painted on. You're out of practice. Well, yeah, I'm kind of new to this. Um, Kelly Reichardt's Certain Women. Ah, great. Uh, I'm not usually into anthology films, but these three stories uh, move me because no one is a villain, yet they're all intensely dramatic. Joel Edgerton's The Gift. Ah. Good choice. What a surprise this movie was. It was so unnerving. Paul Verhoeven's L. 
Okay. A movie with a central character who's a living puzzle box. Just when you have a grasp on her decisions, she surprises you, and it, and it always feels earned. She, uh, that's, that's a really incredible performance in that movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, Isabella Pear never gives a bad performance. Right. And, but that's, uh, that's a really interesting, fascinating character, and I think mm. that's kind of gotten, like overlooked in the years since it came out well, a little bit and it really shouldn't be she's fantastic I think because it doesn't come to easy conclusions oh. uh, especially about the way we talk about sexual assault because that's what the movie is about mm-hmm. and uh and I think it actually engages in the topic in a really intelligent, uh, multifaceted sort of way. Well, still being a thriller, a lot of thrillers engage <laughs> in very condescending moralizing, mm-hmm. and L doesn't. Yeah, there's it's, no moralizing It's complex at all. morals, yeah. but it is not condescending. Yeah, outside, and you know, it, it argues that some of these things that are traditionally seen as immoral are actually kind of good for a family unit. Things like infidelity and, you know, it's... <laughs> Not sure I agree like, with that, but I appreciate being challenged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Greta Gerwig's Little Women. Ah. I have to put this on the list for the sheer fact that it surpassed the hype that I alone had been building up for myself <laughs> since the full cast was announced in 2018. Uh, Andrew Bujalski's Support the Girls. Hey, a that's glori- a great yeah, a glorious portrayal of absolute necessity uh, for camaraderie in the workplace. Uh, Robert Eggers. I, one second, I just want to say I really love that pick because I think mm. Support the Girls, A, flew under too many radars, mm. and B, it's a movie where it's not like impeccably stylized the way that a lot of people oh, like it's really like aesthetics free it's really yeah. kind of straightforward no, and it's clearly really intentional yeah. and a smart choice but like so often when we think like what's the best of all time we're trying to find like you know, what's, a bit of flash to what's it, got yeah. the most flash and has a great story mm-hmm. and like a lot of the picks on this list did they have both but a lot of yeah. them don't like certain women um, there's a very muted stylistic mm-hmm. film and uh, support the girls is very naturalistic in a lot of ways, but that's what makes it so wonderful. It feels very yeah. real. Uh, a critic I really admire, uh, Matt Zoller Seitz, recently yeah. said uh, something that kind of got under my skin, where he said that if it comes between a film that is actually full of really interesting ideas and characters, but is shot really flatly, versus a film that doesn't have a lot of ideas, but is dazzling to look at, he's always going to choose the latter. Mm. Uh, he feels that film should be a lot, a lot more visually engaging, as, just as a medium in general, mm-hmm. and that uh, any film that bothers to engage the eye and push aesthetics is going to be more, to his eye, important than a film that bears more interesting ideas or is more revolutionary in other ways. Uh that's not I a value mean, system I, I agree with, I, but I can appreciate I, I'm it. not going to always say I value one over the other. I think if a film is like visually exciting in a new sort of way, then I'm going to be really attaching myself to it. But I'm not going to shrug off something like Support the Girls or another one, uh, The Big Sick, mm. which are visually drab and not very interesting to look at, but I think are really well-written and good character I, pieces. I would be shocked knowing, mm. having read the work of Matt Zeller Seitz, mm. that he meant that a work like The Big Sick is not great mm. cinema, mm. but I think he was specifically talking about, on that Twitter thread you're talking about, uh-huh. uh, 1917, and the idea yeah. that maybe it's a slightly shallow look mm. at war, and his argument was, it is so, the presentation is so spectacular that it more than compensates for that. Uh, I disagree with that, but that's a, that's a take, it, and, it, I can, it and there's a lot of films that I do appreciate, uh-huh. specifically for their bold aesthetics, mm. even though they're rather shallow. Like, Speed Racer, there's not much to Speed Racer. Uh, no. It touches upon well, things, it's not, a, it's not an empty movie, Speed but Racer it's a very is, simplistic movie. Speed Racer is, but it's so aggressively stylized yeah. that the style becomes kind of the point of them. I agree. I agree yeah. 100%. But, yeah, I do I think feel, it goes... I feel 1917, I, the style isn't quite the point of that movie. But, anyway. Eh, we can, that we can, can have the conversation. Anyway, uh, moving on. Robert Eggers' The Witch is Great also pick. on Nick's list. Uh, Black Phillip and the Almond's Rabbit are my gods now. 
Uh, Dennis Villeneuve's Arrival, excellent choice. Good this bit. movie has everything my bachelor's degree in English needs to survive. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about the language earlier. Arrival yeah. is all about that. Uh, and my last pick is a five-way tie. Ooh. Between all of the all of Yorgo's Lanthimos outfit for the whole decade, which right. includes Dogtooth, which was a re- released in America in 2010, so it counts. Yeah. Alps, the Lobster, the Killing of a Sacred Deer, and the Favorite. Um, I only saw the last three of those, but they're all quite good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't see Alps. Um, Dogtooth makes you feel really dirty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. It, it's so it's I heard. Great. It's great. Okay. Okay, uh, here is a top ten of 2019, not oh, necessarily of the uh, decade. Is that also from Nick? Uh, no, this is... Okay. this is. I just want to say thank you, Nick, for sending that thank out. Thank you, Nick, for list. sending that in. Yeah. Uh, that is a great list. Our next le- letter is from Cody the Totodial. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Totodile's Pokemon. Oh. Yeah. Cool. It's from uh, the... the Gold Silver Generation. I'm a it's, Psyduck. It's the it's the one I one of the generations I'm familiar. I'm familiar with the first three generations, and I kind of fell off after that. But yes, I know Pokemon. I'm a Psyduck. I'm too old to know about Pokemon. But I, I saw the Pokemon. I saw the Detective Pikachu movie, and mm. I was just like, oh, I never realized, but I'm a Psyduck. You're a Psyduck. I kind of am. You get so nervous, you destroy things with your psychic powers. Yeah, and then I challenge like. Lord Richard Attenborough, the Schmodown. <laughs> but let's move on. Right. I'm far fetched. Also, I am a far fetched. Um, Dear Bibbs and Whitney, 2019 was a strange year for me. Not the worst, but not good either. I thought last year was insufferably average overall for films, and found myself disagreeing with most praises that everyone was handing out, which made me feel like something was wrong with me. That's not the case. Cody, you're fine. We're critics. We've been there. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we, we, all critics know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. There. And if they don't, I actually worry about you. Yeah. 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 You, if you see enough movies, you're going to be mm. on the other side of the popular opinion mm. once in a while. I spent the last two weeks catching up on new films I missed and also racking my brain to get to 10. And I'm not sure if it's because my taste in films has drastically changed over the last two years, but I could only get to eight. Uh, really? I, li- I liked other films, but I couldn't consciously say they were top 10 films. What was that? There was a, a Christoph Kislowski film. Mm. Uh, it was like the the cameraman, I think. Car- cameraman. It was a movie. It was from the guy who did the you know the Decalogue. And, the Christoph uh, Kieslowski. Just making sure yeah. I'm making it right. And the three That's Christoph Kieslowski. Yeah, yeah. He did a film I really liked that was about. Um, I'm going to make sure I'm getting the title right. Uh, the he did a movie about a guy who got a home movie camera mm-hmm. and started taking home movies and started getting. You know, sort of increasingly ambitious, started like taking video or, or film mm-hmm. outside his window at the same time every day and sort of doing a, uh, artistic collage of everything. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't considering it like, great artists or whatever, but he started pushing himself. And at one point he entered into um, a filmmaking contest. Okay. Is this, and, this is a documentary or a fictional story? No, it's a fictional story. Oh. Um, and it was really, really good. Let me make sure if I'm... Uh, uh, I really want to make sure I get the title right because right. I don't remember it being terribly well released in this country. Yeah, um, I didn't. I haven't seen this film. No, no, it's really good. I, I love Kislowski's work. So uh, yeah, I was just love the Decalogue, and I love the three colors. Uh, feature films. Here we go. Camera Buff. It's called Camera okay. Buff from okay. 1979. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, and there's a bit in the movie where he enters into a filmmaking contest, and I think he's mm-hmm. they, they're announcing like the top three winners. Uh huh. And they announce like the second runner up, and on the first runner up, he's the first runner up. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. And then it turns out there's no winner. Because the person, the people, the judges argued that none of the films that were in contention are really worthy of that kind of praise. <laughs> okay. So he did technically win, but he'll always be second. And I always thought that was a pretty, <laughs> that was a pretty, pretty good moment. Um, good, good um, 
good good D- mu- kind of dig at criticism there yeah. a little bit yeah. but at the same time i mean listen like imagine if at some point in the academy awards they were just like really it was kind of a crap year we're not gonna have we'll do everything <laughs> but best picture <laughs> i wish they had done that in 2006 right so like when babel was up yeah and, oh gosh anyway and, moving on Anyway, the list. So, no, you only have eight, and that's the, fine. The, that's only point. fine. The yeah. list is as follows: number eight, Book Smart, mm. excellent choice. Number Great seven, choice. The Farewell. Great movie. Uh, number six, High Life. Mm-hmm. Number five, Climax. Sorry, okay. Bibs. It's okay. It's okay. I, I, know, I, know, I know why other, Climax as well. So. I know why other people like it. I also know why I dislike it, and I'm fine with that. All right. <laughs> what you don't like screaming and insanity for ninety minutes? I do. I could have done without the racism. <laughs> there. Okay. Uh, number four, Midsommar. Excellent choice. Okay. Uh, number three, Pain and Glory. Excellent choice. Number two, An Elephant Sitting Still. Damn it, uh, I guess I need to it see makes, this. It thing. makes me incredibly sad how much I related to this, and even sadder knowing that we will never see Hubo evolve and put other put out another masterpiece. I, I uh, wonder if there are any other podcasts on the planet that get as many shoutouts to An Elephant Sitting Still <laughs> as, this, as one. this one, which well, I love, you know, by the way. If, if we can get more people to watch An Elephant Sitting Still, then we're doing our job. Everyone I know who's like tweeted at us saying, I saw this movie because Whitney kept talking oh. about it, loves it. Okay, that's well, really great. I'm, I'm glad I can be your the the, the elephant sitting still cheerleader. Yeah, that's the elephant sitting still in the room. Oh God, you didn't. what? <laughs> and number one is Parasite. Okay, uh, which is which is a good choice. Uh, with that, I was wondering what your favorite of. Uh, what your favorite year of film was for the last decade. Mine was 2018. Oh. That year was incredibly amazing, and I had a top 25 for the first time. Sincerely, Cody the Toto Dial. I don't know if I know that off the top of my head. Yeah. I know we had a couple I, of really, really good ones. I think, was it 20... 2013 was really good. I remember being like having having a really tough time whittling down the best films of 2013. Uh, 2014 was really, really good. That was the year that gave us, uh, amongst others, uh, Whiplash, Selma, The Guest, Only Lovers Left Alive, We Are the Best, Nightcrawler, Snowpiercer, mm-hmm. It Follows. Like, that was a really, really good year. Nice. Um, but I'm uh, trying to... I'm, th- I'm, no, I'm no fan of Snowpiercer, but yeah, there's, uh, there's, there's a good list. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think right now. Um... 2016 was I thought was really really good. That's the year they gave us Moonlight and The Handmaiden and Christine and Silence and I mean good good films came out every year. Yeah, but yeah I'm trying to think of like if there was a think really one was a one that was best. like just overwhelmingly good. Um, yeah, 2013 was the year of her, right? I think I could be wrong about that. Um, you're in film. 2017 kicked ass. <laughs> 2017. Yeah. I mean that when we got uh, Captain Underpants. We got uh, Get Out, yeah, we got yeah. a Ghost Story, uh, the first mm. It, Lady Bird, mm. Logan, Wonder Woman, mm. uh, Phantom Thread, uh, <laughs> Raw, The Shape of Water, mm. Last Jedi, Valerian. Yeah. All right, so, so some good ones. Honestly, like, I, I honestly think that we, we get kind of hung up on it because we're like in the moment. Mm. Was this a good year for film? Yeah. There aren't a lot of genuinely bad years for film. Sometimes the years are better than others, and it seems like we get more classics per capita, like 1939 or 1999. And a lot of great movies or game-changing movies came out in those years in particular, for example. But if you know where to look, there's always something amazing happening. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you just have to look in a different place. Sometimes there weren't a lot of good action movies in one year. 
Yeah. If that's yeah. your jam, it's going to seem like a really crappy year. But it was maybe a really great year for Korean cinema or rom-coms right. or, or something. Or horror you know? movies. Yeah, yeah, something. Yeah, so hmm. everyone's making art constantly, and fortunately, law of averages, there's usually something great yeah. coming out all the time. Yeah, I'm looking over at 2006, just because 2006 stands out in my mind. It's like a particularly <laughs> bad year for film. Okay, we had The Departed. Mm-hmm. Good. Scorsese won Best Picture that year. I wouldn't necessarily call that one of Scorsese's best. I think it's quite a good film. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to call it a bad movie, but um, it's not the height. It's not the height of Scorsese's powers. I think Wolf of Wall Street is far better. Yeah. Um, Babel. That's a bad movie. You don't like it. Pan's I Labyrinth. I like. Mm-hmm. Uh, Casino Royale. I know a lot of people. I love that. Movie. Like that one better than all the other James Bond movies. Yeah. I think it's fine. I think it's the best written James Bond movie. That's for it's sure. It's got the best screenplay. I think, yeah. From top to bottom. Yeah. It's a really good movie. I I, I think no. it's the best Bond movie, but I can see why you just. Uh, big Academy films. Little Miss Sunshine. Totally amusing. Yeah. Uh, little, ch- children. Forgettable in the long run. Children of Men. More stylish than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, the Prestige. It's Just a good movie, on. but it doesn't stick with me yeah, in the way other it. Nolan's other films. Same with The Fountain. Darren Aronofsky made this big, ambitious romance <laughs> thing, which is just an amusing head trip. It's, it feels I, like I, a I college would, film I think it's too more than his other be, movies. I think it's depressing, too depressing mm-hmm. to be amusing, but I also mm-hmm. think that what it's getting at is way more simple than it thinks it is. Yeah. So uh, I got it really quickly, and then I was like ready to move on, and the movie's like, nope, we have another two hours. I'm like, damn it. For for the fountain, yeah, fountain's ninety minutes. <laughs> well, it feels like a two hours. Fountain's a really short movie. It feels uh, like a long. But uh, my point is that I figured out what they were getting at, and they didn't really ladle more on top of it. Oh, okay. So it yeah. felt like a long time because I'm just sitting there waiting for the movie to, to yeah, catch up. Let's see, oh, uh, we had Spike Lee came back with Inside Man again. Good film, but really good not, film. not not a, the director's best work. No, but uh, a really good film. Uh, Lies of Others was pretty good. The Queen was okay. I'm mm-hmm. not a big good fan performance. Of, night, okay, moving. Yeah, not a big fan of Dream Girls or the Letters from Iwo Jima. I think Letters from Iwo Jima is an excellent film. I think it's, okay. it's overly maudlin in the last scene, but other than oh, that, okay. it's a really excellent film. I'll give uh, you the big that. action films were stuff like Superman Returns. It's a little underrated, I feel. Um, Underrated. It's not like a bad flick or anything. It got a really bad reputation. It wasn't what people wanted yeah. at the time, but for what it is, mm. it's actually quite good. Mission Impossible Three. Lady, I really like Mission Impossible. Lady 3. in the Water. Yeah. The Da Vinci Code. X Men Three. Rocky Balboa. I'm looking over. I'm waiting to move on. I'm looking over All my right. notes here. I think if I had to pick the best year for cinema. Hmm. A, of the last decade, off, you know, without going full bore studying, uh-huh. I think I'd probably go 2018. 2018, okay. 2018 was the year that gave us, amongst other things, uh-huh. uh, Sorry to Bother You, Black okay. Klansman, Black yeah. Panther, A Simple Favor, Avengers Infinity War, Annihilation, Hereditary, Paddington 2, The Other Side of the Wind, A Quiet Place, You Were Never Really Here, mm-hmm. Blind Spotting. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, that really good Benji remake that nobody cares about but me. <laughs> uh, Damsel, which I think is one of the most underrated westerns mm-hmm. ever made. The favorite, Game Night. Uh, if Beale Street Could Talk. Mm-hmm. Leave No Trace. Let the Corpses Tan. Mm-hmm. Mirai. That's a good overlord. <laughs> like, that's a, uh, searching. Searching is a really fantastic motion picture. Yeah, yeah. Stan and Ollie. A Star is Born is fine. Upgrade. Mm. That's a damn good year for movies right there. All right. So, yeah, I think I'm going to go 2018. That's, that's I think it's totally my final fair. answer. All right. Yeah. Um, I, I was fond of 2013. That was Wolf of Wall Street, mm-hmm. Inside Lewin Davis. Also great. Um, that Metallica concert film. You know, there, there was a lot of good movies. Uh, Blue's the Warmest Color. Yeah. Um, uh, 
Room 237. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <it was laughs> Some in- interesting films came out really in 2013. Good All right, let's move on. Uh, Upstream Color came out there. Um, anyway, we're listing a bunch of titles. We should let you list some titles. Please Here please. is on our next letter. It is from Nolan. Hello, Nolan. Hi, Nolan. Uh, hey, fellas. Uh, if you like reading fans lists, here's one for the, one more for the pile. It's my personal movie of the year for each year of the 2010s. A lot of people took that mm. took that tactic when it came time to do the best like movies of the decade. One. Is one movie per year, which is mm. totally valid for yeah. me. I think that precludes the possibility that like one year two, had, had more than good, one. Yeah. But this is a perfectly valid tactic, and I like that it really you know gives the entire decade a voice. So yeah, yeah, yeah. all right, let's go for it. So uh, 2010, Winter's Bone. Great pick. Uh, great movie. I love that movie. 2011, Hobo with a Shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great choice. An interesting pick. I love that pick, choice. Right? That choice is the, that's the best trauma movie that trauma never made, that's, which makes yeah. it the best trauma movie. Because <laughs> <laughs> trauma doesn't make their movies. They no, they don't. Distribute other movies. They, 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 they make their own movies, but they're not. They're tra- not trauma's they're, War, Terror Firmer, Poultry Guys. Like, these, they, are they they these are not classic films. These are not classic films. Hobo Shotgun's great. Uh, 2012, Life of Pi. Great and, choice. Yeah, good choice. I, I um, 2013, The Counselor. You know, I... <laughs> here's what I'm going to say about The okay, Counselor. I'm with yeah, you on yeah, The Counselor. You yeah, had actually, me until then. I don't like The Counselor. I know you don't like The Counselor. Yeah. I do not care for it. Of all people, the person I talked to about The Counselor, mm-hmm. who made me think to myself, well, maybe. It was Dave White, wasn't it? Guillermo del Toro. Oh, no kidding. Okay. I, was talking, I, I got a chance. I was in a waiting room mm. for something with Guillermo del Toro, and we got to talk for a few minutes about nothing important. <laughs> okay. And for whatever reason, he wanted to talk about The Counselor, which had only come out like the year before. Uh-huh. And he was a really, really big fan of it because he thought it really understood something about grief. And okay. the terror that comes from knowing someone uh, you love has been kidnapped, which is something that, sadly, his family has understands. So... I get it from an emotional perspective, and I feel like that movie is Ridley Scott processing his feelings over the death of his brother. Because it feels like a Tony Scott movie that wound up in Ridley Scott's filmography. Mm. Um, I don't think it works, but I get that it's processing some serious emotions, and I know some people really connect to that. It's so bizarre. It is weird. Quoting philosophy, and Cameron Diaz has sex with a car. Sex with a car! Yeah, but with the windshield of the car. Also, she has a bunch of cheetahs. And, and she has cheetah tattoos. And so, and so she's a cheetah. She's kind of like a cheetah, you guys. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like a cheetah. Uh, 2014, Inherent Vice. Fun pick. Uh, a, a movie, I, I enjoy that movie a lot. Yep. Uh, 2015, Mad Max Fury Road. Yay! Uh, 2016, The Witch. Great pick. Choice. 2017, I, Tanya. Oh, that's a good pick. That is a good pick. That's uh, a really, 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 really... I had to do an article that was the best biopics of the decade. Mm. And it's interesting, when you only look at them as biopics, like, your perspective on them starts to shift a little bit. Like, mm. I, Tanya probably didn't make my top ten of that year, but it was one of the top ten biopics of the decade. I really do think it did a fantastic job of sort of reframing mm. the way we perceive somebody. Yeah, for sure. Really yeah. good job. And uh, number uh, 2018 is The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, that's, that's, great that's a good choice. And 2019, Midsommar. Cool. Um, Excellent choice. Uh, eclectic. I like that. I'm, um, interested, I'm intrigued by the way that... Because I remember when Midsommar came out, and I saw it just before... Mm-hmm. I think it played at festivals, but I saw it like a week before it came out. Uh-huh. And I remember thinking to myself, this is very well made. This is clearly very emotional. But I found myself a little distracted by its similarities to other films. Mm-hmm particularly The Wicker Man, but there are also elements of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and a few other mm. horror classics in there. I found myself a little distracted by that. What I found as the year went on is mm. that no one else gave a shit about that. They're just connecting to that movie on pure emotion. Uh-huh. 
I think that's great. I kind of <laughs> love that Midsommar has become almost an instant horror classic. Yeah, yeah. I think it's great. I really do. I'm coming. I'm yeah. I'm increasingly enamored of that movie. Whereas okay. originally I was merely giving it praise. Yeah. I think, um, yeah. I'm sure you guys have heard of all of these, so I won't write an essay on each one. If you have anything you'd like to say about any of them on the show, I'd love to hear. Well, we just did. And we did. Yeah. Great uh, picks. Nolan. So yeah, thanks for writing those in. Nolan. Uh, here is a best movies of the decade letter from Nick. Hi, Nick. Uh, hey, Bibbs and Whitney. I've been listening to your podcast for a couple of months now and thought I'd share my top 10 of the decade list with you and see what you think. Thank you. Uh, number 10. Manifesto. Oh! Oh, you love this one. I liked Manifesto. Um, it really flew under a lot of radars. Yeah, it, 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 I played for like a week at the New Art. Nobody yeah. saw this. This was a Got film no that awards. Uh, yeah. Kate Blanchett played thirteen different roles, and all of the dialogue was mo- it was monologues, a series of monologues of Kate Blanchett and different characters, and all of the the, the words were taken from various political and artistic manifestos written throughout history. Yeah. So in one, she's an old homeless man and she's reading from the communist manifesto. My favorite was where she was like a a second grade teacher. She's like in the teacher's outfit and there's a bunch of kids in a classroom and she's reciting the lists of Dogma 95 uh, Lars von Trier's artistic treatise on how like to bring purity back to cinema. That one was a really interesting uh, vignette. Hmm. But yeah, number 10 was Manifesto. Cool. Further proof that Kate Blanchett is the greatest actress working today. Yeah, she's great. I'm not going to fight you too hard on that. There, there yeah. is some, there's some competition, but she's got to be right up there. Yeah. Uh, number nine, Pina. Oh, I, you know, I, I actually miss Pina. I miss Pina as well. Uh, Once with it was all out the, of theaters, it was one of the few movies everyone said 3D was made for this movie. Uh, and then once I missed the opportunity to see it in 3D, I just yeah. never ran around to it. With all due respect to the brilliance of Step Up 3D, <laughs> this Van Vender's documentary is the best dance film of the decade. Oh, uh, well, I haven't I, seen it, I haven't so, seen I can't, it so I can't argue. I, yeah, I can't argue. Maybe it does beat Step Up 3D. I hear it's fantastic. Uh, number eight, Lock. Ah, 90 minutes of Tom Hardy in a car, and it's one of the most exciting movies I've ever seen. Locke, yeah, Locke is really, really... I'm amazed Tom Hardy didn't get nominated for Best Actor. It was just him. It's just him in a car. Him on a phone, yeah. The the, uh, director, Stephen Knight, Mm -hmm. um, who also did Serenity, which sucked, but um, he's usually a good writer. Mm -hmm. Uh, he, He directed this movie, and his whole thing was... Uh, as he put it, was a man gets into a car with everything and gets out of the car with nothing. <laughs> That's a good pitch. So, like, when he gets into the car, he's yeah. got everything going for him, but over a series of phone calls, he loses everything in his life mm. by the end of the movie. That's it. Mm. Really, really, weirdly intense. Like, you wouldn't <laughs> think that would be exciting, but it's so damn good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, number seven, Personal Shopper. Oh, good pick. Yeah, that is a, I love that movie. Uh, in a decade in which she gave so many great performances, this is Kristen Stewart's best work to date. I agree. Um, there's still some I haven't seen, but uh, that, based on that what I've heard, seen, I've heard a lot of acclaim that she got a lot of acclaim for. I but, remember uh, that movie was very divisive. It can like it meant to booze, it meant mm-hmm. to cheers, and I finally saw it, and I was like. This movie is fucking phenomenal. This is like really right in the razor's edge between different genres yeah, and yeah, tonalities. It's, it's and like this this weird little soulful indie drama, but there's ghosts in it. Yeah, it's yeah, really, it's really um, great. And also the best scary movie cell phone gag. Yeah, I've ever yeah, seen where, where she loses service in a tunnel when when a ghost is communicating with her and she doesn't yeah. and the ghost says I'm heading like toward this apartment. Yeah, and then when and she, she gets reception uh, again, she gets all the messages she missed at once. Yeah, yeah. and you realize just how close it is. And like, oh god, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's spooky. It's really, actually pretty really spooky. Um, number six, Thirteen Assassins. You know, the I most this. thrilling action movie of the decade, besides Mad Max Fury Road, of course. Yeah. Number five, Why Don't You Play in Hell? Yay! 
That's no, a great pick. That is a great pick. And no other movie depicts the sheer excitement of making your own film better than this one. Uh, if you missed, uh, why don't you play in hell? If you're like newer to our podcast and weren't good. around, we were initially praising this movie. Holy crap, this is yeah, a good movie. It, it's Sean Sono. Sean Sono. Sean Sono. Japanese film. And yeah, it's about a group of film students who are really high on the idea of filmmaking and are trying to make this really exciting documentary about real-life mobsters. Yeah, real-life mobsters hire a student film crew Mm. to document a gang war. Mm. And then they start choreographing the gang war. (laughs) It's madness. And it is seriously one of like... Mm. There are, you know, every year you get new movies about movie making. This has got to be in the top two or three best movies of the decade <laughs> yeah, about I, movie making. I haven't seen One Cut of the Dead yet, and I've heard that's another I've also like, heard ex- that's exciting cool. Japanese yeah. film about filmmaking. I really want to see One Cut of the Dead. Um, number four, Whiplash, one of the great greatest endings to a movie ever. I, I actually concur with that. I'm a little less high on it than I first was when it came out. It was my number one pick of the number one film of the year at the time. Mm. But I actually love how just sort of thematically dangerous that movie is. Yeah, it just, it yeah. asks the question, what if everything you thought about how to nurture artistic success yeah. was wrong? Mm-hmm. And then it follows that to a logical mm-hmm. conclusion. Well, it, it's really harrowing. It argues in favor of abusive motivation, which yeah. uh, and you know is something a lot of uh, so-called geniuses have experienced. And yeah. it actually asks, is abuse and pain necessary for fostering genius. And a lot of people would say, absolutely not. We need to foster genius. But this film says, no, we kind of need some of that for some people, perhaps. No, I call that movie dangerous uh, when I first reviewed it at Sundance. And I think that's a great word to describe it. It is dangerous because it's it's a dangerous idea. But it is intelligent about it. Yeah. And I think it does... It's not just saying we need to abuse people. It's It's not just propaganda. It raises the question. We hear the contrary arguments. It's clear that even in this situation, Mm. we're only talking relationship between two people and Mm. we see a lot of other people and how it hurts them and mm. really great motion picture. I'm actually a little surprised it didn't end up on my top list. Best of the decade. Yeah, uh, yeah. Number three is Christine. Rebe- Rebecca Hall's performance Yay. is the most devastating portrait of depression I've ever seen in a film. Yeah, I, one of the best performances pre- of the pretty decade. Harrowing. I still yeah. can't believe she wasn't nominated for Best Actress. Uh, number two is Blind. Yeah, cool. Well, we, I hope on our recommendation. I yeah. caught this film at the Sundance Film Festival in 2014. Oh, I was there too. After getting shut out of a different press screening <laughs> and was pleasantly surprised, I was blown away by this film's inv- innovative narrative structure and wish it got more of a robust theatrical release. Uh, it, it, it barely scraped by here in the States. It, it didn't come out until like a year or two after it premiered at Sundance in yeah, America. Yeah, And then it was real blink and you'll miss it. I didn't even know it came out until after it had already yeah. been out in theaters. Look up Blind 2013 if you can. It's yeah. a really creative film about a, a writer who is has gone blind or is in the mid... Almost, no, she, she's just recently she's just, gone blind. Re, just recently gone blind and now she's trying to... And it visually depicts what that's like. Like, mm-hmm. what the world looks like in her mind's eye, as it were. As she starts losing it's, clarity yeah. over what everything around her actually looks and like. At, yeah. And at the same time, it's about her creative process as she is an author, and how the sort of immutability of the world around her is now leaking into her storytelling. Uh, really, really wonderful films. So yeah. That's a good uh, good choice. Yeah. And number one, I actually haven't seen, is Columbus. Oh, uh, no that other movie's film, great. No other film this decade has affected me more emotionally than this one. It's a shame this film didn't get any awards, love, but I'm excited to see this filmmaker continue to grow throughout the next decade. Yeah, John Cho plays a guy mm. whose father, I think, was an architect. Oh, wait, I did, I, I did see Columbus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Oh yeah, that I've, movie was wonderful. It, it, it is wonderful. Yeah, where yeah. it's just sort of a walk and talk about architecture. Yeah, but it's like just people connecting and, and talking uh, about their their families and yeah. their future and their dreams. Mm. And it sounds like it should be boring. It's not a great elevator pitch. It's a fantastic motion picture, and you should totally yeah, see yeah. it. Uh, thanks so much for reading my letter. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on my list. Sincerely yours. Yeah, great Nick. list. Yeah, that really, is a, really great. That list. is a wonderful list. All right. um, I'm going to look for some other lists here. Yeah, um, we, we should we try to do that. a few other non lists as well, mm. so we so we stay a little abreast. But let's get right. to more lists. I love this um, Here is a letter from Topher Jr. Hi! Hi, Topher Jr. Always good to hear from you. Yeah. Um, here is my list of favorite movies of the decade. That's it. Just start diving right Let's in. Let's dive right in. Number 10, The Cabin in the Woods. Mm. By, uh, by far my favorite final act of a movie this decade, if not ever. Mm, ca- the Cabin in the Woods is, uh, I would argue it's a great stoner movie. <laughs> Because a it, one of the plot points in the movie is smoking weed gives you superpowers. Well, it, like it protects you from evil mind rays. It, prote- so, it protects you from being brainwashed. Also, You're too much of a free thinker. Also, yeah. it's it's not not so much a. Oh, oh my god, it's this weird sort of meta-narrative, this commentary about horror movies, so much as it is, man, what if horror movies were controlled by, like, guys in a room somewhere? I think, I, th- I, I love this movie, I know you're not the biggest fan, I, I love this movie, I think it is maybe more clever than it is ingenious, because I think, I think you're right. I think, I, think it, I think it's even more cute than it is clever. No, I, I think but, it's you know. rather clever, I think it... It takes some ideas that we take for granted in the horror genre, mm-hmm. and it adds a few other layers to them in a way that is fun. But then they do explore what that would actually mean, and how that would relate, mm-hmm. and how that would have come with its own new set of themes and ideas. Yeah. I think it's an incredibly clever horror movie screenplay. Uh, I think it's more of a comedy, really, than it is horrifying. Yeah, yeah. but I really dig it. I think it's really fun, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm glad people like it. Okay, number nine. Nancy Drew and the Hidden Staircase. No shit, I missed this. <laughs> wow, okay, that's a really cool. This is the, the first, first mention I've heard it heard it anywhere. This is a pure delight of a kids' young teens film huh. that really manages to nail this character in a way that the two thousand seven film really didn't. Yeah, okay. the, the two thousand seven film tried to make her like kind of this retro character, and mm-hmm. so I, it was Emma Roberts in that. Emma Roberts yeah, played yeah. Nancy Drew in that one, and uh, it was. Um, Oh, I forgot the actress's name, but she was in the It movies. Played Sophia Nancy. Lillis is in the new one. Sophia Lillis played yeah, Nancy Drew. She's also movie. in Gretel and Hansel later this week, which is oh, very yeah. good. Um, Carmilla, number eight, Carmilla. This, he, this is here because it is a reasonable capstone to a web series that really got heavily affected me. Huh. And this deservedly got both uh, its actress CSA Audience Choice Awards. Carmilla was a web series that I actually reviewed for the critically acclaimed website at one point. It was a list Oh, request. yeah. It's about a, 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 a disappearing roommate or something. A, a disappearing roommate, and it's a reworking of the Carmilla vampire myth. Oh, that's kind of cool. Just in modern, modern times. And, and you know, if, if you read a book that's an epistolary, that is a, a book made up of letters that's sort of recounting what happened. Mm-hmm. Then, like, vlogs the, make sense. As yeah, a, a vlog. Yeah. It's, and it's all from the perspective of her webcam. The camera never changes. It's a single static shot. And all of it is sort of recounting everything. Huh. And it does turn into this... It, and it's like this Harry Potter school where people are learning spells and stuff and they talk about the teachers and the classes and it does end up ultimately being a lesbian romance between the two roommates and it kind of comes out of nowhere I think one of the roommates is actually shocked that she's attracted to another woman and that sounds really uh, cool actually I'm not sure if that counts as a film if it was released as a film I think it uh, counts as a film it was released as a vlog I watched it as a vlog on YouTube but yeah if it was released theatrically in Canada but it's a Canadian production Mm -hmm. then sure oh here we go it's a film Um, yeah, there was, there was a film. All right. There was definitely a film. That counts. All right. Okay. Great. Yeah. That Um, was cool. Number seven, Power Rangers. Yay! (laughs) 
<laughs> this movie was more focused on making the characters and friends than on the action beats, and I love it for that. I appreciate that for it as well. Um, as as I said in our review, it's unfortunately married to idiocy. Yeah, because there's a lot of really dumb stuff about the Power Rangers, and they if you're they, gonna, they're stuck power, with it, they can't yeah, change it. Yeah, like you can only change it to make it so cool so much before you're just making your own original thing, and it's not the yeah. Power Rangers anymore. No, I appreciate. I really okay. I really like that movie a lot. I think mm-hmm. they do again. The young cast is a really really great ensemble, and they give them the time necessary to talk to out build. their problems. When you look yeah. at a lot of like other team superhero movies, there aren't a lot that actually give the characters characters enough time to properly interact like none of the x-men movies Mm. are about the x-men hanging out in any meaningful way so i really like that Mm. in that regard Uh, it gets maybe first class but even then not Mm. so much but uh on top of it all yeah they embrace the fact that this is kind of stupid and they lean into it and i think it's a really really when when elizabeth banks as rita repulsa (laughs) is trying to find an evil thingamabob (laughs) underneath a crispy cream Uh and she's like what is this Crispy cream. Take me to the crispy cream. That's funny, and, and it, damn it. Like it's, it's, they, they lean look, into it. If if you're if crispy cream is leaning on you because they gave <laughs> a lot of sponsorship dollars and you have to include their product in your movie, you may as well have Elizabeth Banks just hiss the product name over and over right? again. No, I think they did a and really there, good job. And there's with a that scene movie. where she has her like death monster outside smashing buildings and she's inside the crispy cream in eating her, like, a in donut, her, in her like, outfit, cool. and she's very like yeah, elegantly eating a donut. Sil- Wetted against yeah. an explosion. It's like so I, I mean, it's cool. like a commercial, but you knew Elizabeth Banks knew what she was doing, and that that's scene, a fun thing. That's a really good. Humor. That's a fun thing. Like Power thing. Rangers. Uh, also, one of the only kid films you could argue it's a kid mm. film. I think it's rated PG thirteen. That's a kid film, but uh, it's the only one of the only kids films that has a queer protagonist. One of them, yeah. There's there's not a lot of those. No, that's um, true. Uh, number six, Blade Runner 2049. Okay. Uh, I will never be able to convey why I love this film better than Mikey Newman did in his video essay on it, so just go watch that. I, yeah, I don't know Mikey Newman. I don't know that one either. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that movie is a masterpiece of style. Uh, of cinematography and production design, for sure. I think just like the original. I think it brings up a lot of fascinating ideas, mm-hmm. just like the original. I also think just like the original, it gets a little lost in the middle. <laughs> um, I also think a lot of people have argued that the film has some fundamental sexism that it's dealing with, and I think mm-hmm. Denis Villeneuve has that in some of his films, particularly Sicario. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't argue it too much. I do think there's another way of looking at it that isn't quite as... Yeah. mean and grotesque, but I also totally see that perspective 100%. Um, I, I think it's just as boring as the original. Oh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't like the original. Your distaste of Blade Runner fascinates me. I would have totally thought something really boring and, and stylish would, and ponderous well, would be up your alley. Pon- ponderous? It's okay if you're pondering ideas, but you need some ideas to ponder. Oh, sh- okay, it's, we're going to move on before it, this comes to blows. It is a, a, just such there a There are dull, so many ideas dull, in Blade Runner. You're going to move on. Um, that said, I'm really looking forward to his version of Dune. Okay. Um, number five, the Neon Demon. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great pick. Speaking of empty style, but I think it's kind of the point of this movie. Purcell uh, and Chopper and Neon Demon, yeah. by the way, perfect double feature. I could see it, yeah, about yeah. fashion. Yeah, uh, about fashion, sort of... fashion, high-minded fashion, art house horror. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> this is the most beautiful film that I never want to see again, <laughs> and yet I love and respect what it pulls off so much. Yeah, I, I think The Neon Demon is great for reasons that the director didn't really intend. I interviewed him a little bit, and I got mm. the impression you're right about that, because I look at The Neon Demon. This is Nicholas Winding Refn's mm. uh, film, and he did Drive, and um, <laughs> what's that other one he did with Ryan Gosling? We're about, like, Only like, God forgives. That's not a great film. Um, <laughs> but I feel like he's not necessarily 
consciously aware of how artistically pretentious his work is. Mm-hmm. And I thought when I was watching The End Demon that that was kind of a commentary like on he was, that. He was, like trying to take the piss out of himself a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and I don't think he actually was. I don't think he actually was. <laughs> no. I don't think he actually was. But we can only judge what's on the screen, and what's on the screen is actually pretty smart it's, about taking the piss out of it's himself. It's such a great film. I love that you picked that. Um, number four, Arrival, another Dennis Villeneuve film. Yep. Uh, one of the few movies to get me to openly weep, and it wow. manages to get me to do it every time. This is a masterclass on how to tell non-linear stories. I think that's I mean, fair. Spoilers. No, it's... Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I also love its commentary on sort of the power of language mm-hmm. and how it kind of affect perspective. I, really I, this is one where I first saw it and I respected it a lot, mm-hmm. but the more I thought about it, the more I think it really is a masterwork. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really great. Uh, number three, Darkness on the Edge of Town from 2014. What? This is a movie that made it on the fact that it lays its cards on the table in the first five minutes and spends the rest of the movie with the understanding that every action is leading to the main character's... Uh, leading the main characters toward a great betrayal. I don't know Darkness on the I don't town. either. I, isn't that like a Bruce Springsteen album? <laughs> <laughs> it's a meatloaf record. Um, yeah, I don't that's know. That's Paradise by the Death. I don't know this one. Um, yeah, I don't know Darkness on the Edge of Town. Okay, I'll have to check that out. Thank you for your recommendation. If anybody says any film is their favorite of the decade, and even if it's a heard... film I've loathed, I'm going to reconsider. Well, yeah, you, know? you certainly want to, but especially something I've never heard of. Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, and here's another one I don't know. Sexy Evil Genius is number two. Oh. This is one of those films that would work amazingly as a play, as it's mostly just people sitting around talking, but man, it's an enjoyable ride. I saw this one. It's about a group of people who uh, may or may not have... They, they all dated the same woman, and they may hmm. have been manipulated by her. Um, so I, I don't think. Like, I think it is more of a play than a movie. I think it's maybe not as cinematic. Is nothing as it, wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with that. But it feels restricted oh, okay. in that regard to me. Yeah. Uh, but I also understand why people like it a lot. Okay. Yeah. And number one, and this is an unexpected pick, Hannah. Yeah. This is my favorite film of all time. Whoa! So it's no surprise that it's here. There has never been a film that I've encountered that so casually challenges defaults while going on such an amazingly sh- being going on to be such an amazingly shot action film. Best regards, Topher Junior. Those are bold um, choices. I've never seen Hannah. You haven't seen Hannah? No, jo- you Joe, Ra- Joe Wright's film. I'm I'm aware mm. of it. Joe mm. Ra- uh, 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 Saoirse Ronan. Uh, it's Saoirse Ronan, right? Saoirse Ronan. She is- plays a young hit woman. She well, Eric Bana is is her dad and has been raising her in the wilderness to like kill elks with her legs and stuff, and uh, and it, it it turns out like some evidence that they're hiding out gets out into the world and it activates Kate Blanchett is this like this like horrible evil person in like shoot, like high heels and a miniskirt yeah who says we need to get her because she's part of the program and we. <laughs> We learn eventually that she's like this genetically manipulated super soldier who's been raised in the wilderness by Eric Bana, and she goes on this killing spree. And so, it's, like kicking, so it's like kicking assassins' asses. And, so it's like Daryl, but if it was an action movie. Yeah, it's it's like Daryl, but if Sir if Daryl like murdered people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, sold. And and it's shot by Joe Wright, so it's like all this like pretentiously artistic stuff that has the climax takes place in like an abandoned amusement park. I it's, keep waiting yeah, for Joe Wright bizarre. to direct a James Bond movie. I think he'd be really good. At that i keep hoping he's gonna do like a just a full bore science fiction film yeah i feel like he keeps getting stuck doing these like heady like mm. literary adaptations mm. and i think he's got the and I, I'm his pride and prejudice is quite good it's really yeah. good i give you that and i think he's some of his other work is mostly good but mm. like yeah i would like to see what joe wright would do with genre material and i think he could really do I mean, well, Hannah just, is genre. I know, but you know, right. I feel like he could really do what <laughs> Sam Mendes did for Skyfall, but in his own way. Okay. Without doing what Sam Mendes did. All right. Yeah. Uh, here's another list from Joseph. Hello, okay. Joseph. Uh, dear Sears, at the end of the decade, I have found... Uh, 
as the end of the decade has found us, excuse me, yes. as the end of the decade has found us, I would like to add my best of the decade list to the movie sphere and uh, love for you to share, love to share it with you two fine gents and your fantastic list- listenership. Great. Let's do it. Uh, before you discuss, however, two quick things. Thank you for all the fantastic shows you've done for us over the years and best of luck with all your endeavors for this new decade. Thank you. Thank you. That's Means very a lot sweet of you. Also, now that the decade lists are in fashion, would you consider doing a best of the century list and incorporate movies from 2000 to 2009 in the conversation? Like only go as far as two thousand nine. Yeah, like, like let, let oh, this the last sen- decade the century so far. Oh, I mean, we could do. That, oh, best sure. of the century so far. Yeah, I see. Okay, so I thought you meant from like two thousand, like nineteen twenty to two thousand twenty, which would only be like the best of the last two decades. But mm-hmm. these it would last, be a different list. These last two decades are, you know, you and I are old enough to have been working that entire time. Also, so. we are intensely aware of like we both saw hundreds of movies per year. Yeah, a lot of that. Whereas I think if you most people doing a best of the century list, you're going to find it's some like, decades where you've only seen like, less than a hundred films, or less than ten in some in cases, some cases yeah. maybe. So hmm. maybe I, I don't. Uh, I think it's too soon because I think it'd be too similar to the list we just did. Yeah, because surely yeah. some of the same films would make the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at some point, we sure, can talk about sure. that. Best, best the last twenty years. I think it's definitely something to do, and I I don't mean to make you wait this long, and we might not. Mm-hmm. Definitely something to do in twenty twenty five. <laughs> okay. Quarter of the way through years. the century, I think that's a perfect time mm-hmm. to, to start taking real stock. But maybe we'll think about if it. I'm still coughing. Um, let's see. Uh, and anyway, here's the list. Uh, okay. with, uh, number 20, Prisoners. A lot of Denis Villeneuve on this list. Yeah. yeah. A lot of, I, I don't think that's his best by a long shot. I find that no. to be an airplane novel that he brought mm-hmm. a lot of style and panache to. Yeah, and and, maybe some, with a and great some good performances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I get um, it. Number nineteen, the girl with the dragon, the dragon tattoo, the Fincher version. I don't like it. I, yeah, I'm I don't not, like not a fan of that. I one think either. the Nomi Rapaz version is not as stylish, but I do think it understands the material a little stronger. Yeah, I think yeah. it gets things a little better, and I find Nomi Rapaz to be a superior um, Lisbeth Salander. However, I will say I really do like Claire Foy's interpretation of the character, even though the movie um, itself wasn't as good. I, I like the opening scene of that movie, and the rest of the movie is just trash. <laughs> the rest of the movie is a fine, like junky B-movie yeah. thriller, but I think she's a really good girl in the spider's up. Uh, number 18, The Martian. Yes. Great pick. Uh, number 17, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Sorry, Bibs, it says. <laughs> Get a lot of sorry bibs, yeah, don't I? No comment. Uh, number 16, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. I can't uh, go along with you on this one. I don't think it works, but I also understand why people like it, because it feels very bold, and it gives a lot of people material for good performances. It's immediate, it's full of wrath. I think it's it's one of those films that's trying to, to discuss something very immediate without the benefit of context, and I actually admire films that are trying to do that. That try to be right up to the minute, even I, if they don't necessarily hit it. I appreciate the effort, mm. I don't think that's necessarily a pass if it doesn't work. Alright. Uh, number 15, 1917. Okay. Uh, number 14, Interstellar. Mm, I'm, I, I'm warm on Interstellar. I love the style of Interstellar. Mm. I love a lot of the visual ideas that it represents. I don't think the story comes together very well. I think um, Christopher Nolan is uh, a very intellectual director, and I think he's yeah. best when he's dealing with philosophy or complex ideas or complex story. Uh, mm. Something like Inception is yeah. more his speed. I think if he's making a film about how love is the unknown variable in the fabric of the universe, you perhaps need a little bit more of a soulful director. Than, I agree, one hundred percent. However, Nolan. cool robots. The robots are great. Robots are really cool, and the the robots were very funny as well. Yeah, I like those robots. Mm. It's like, okay, I'm going to fix your robot here. I'm going to go underneath your panels and f- futz with your wires. Okay, futz, 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 futz. Oh, oh, my auto, my auto self destruct has been triggered. Five, four, three, computer. Turn down the robot sense of humor. Ah, oh, damn it. 
All that stuff that's, is that, good. That stuff was really All good. All that yeah. stuff is good. Uh, number 13 is Arrival. A lot of choices. Arrival. I love it. Great movie. Number tree, number 12, The Tree of Life. First mention Yay. of The Tree of Life. I love The Tree of Life. Uh, number 11, Django Unchained. No comment. Uh, I uh, think it's respectable choice. I like the movie a lot. All right. Uh, number 10, Blade Runner 2049. Another, okay. another Big Villeneuve fan, three, I noticed. Three on this, on this list so far. Um is he the new Kubrick? Um, I, some people have argued that he is arguably like the director of the decade. The, like I'm, when you look at like yeah. they made a lot of movies, their movies were of a relatively consistent quality. They made an impact. I think he's certainly part of the conversation. My personal pick right. would be Ryan Coogler. Okay, I think he's kind of like he's done so much in so many different genres mm-hmm. and different. Uh, but th- there's an argument to be made for Villeneuve. Okay, yeah. Uh, d- 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 number nine, Silver Linings Playbook. Good, good performances. Uh, I, I like it a lot. I do think it's basically just a rom com that like acts like an Oscar movie, but that's, that's fine. fine. That's yeah. fine. I think it just got built up a little too much All when right. it first came out, but okay. it's a well made movie. Uh, number eight, Spotlight. Excellent great choice. Uh, number seven, Inception. Just talking about that. Great, great film. Uh, number six, Parasite. Great All film. Right. Uh, number five, The Favorite. Yes. Okay. Number four, The Wolf of Wall Street. Yay! Finally, somebody mentioned The Wolf of Wall Street. I would say, um, I would put DiCaprio's performance in Wolf of Wall Street among mm. the very best of the decade. Yeah. Like, top five. Uh, he's really remarkable. He's really, really good at playing rich assholes. That's, what a weird, weird coincidence. Right? Um, but I also argue that he's in funny. He's hilarious. In that movie. Well, the whole movie is just energetic and hilarious. Yeah, but the his... scene, The scene where he, he's... Uh, I forgot what he took. Uh, he took something. He's got a crawler Jordan, to his car. Jordan, no, it's not the crawler to the car scene is amazing. That's hilarious as hell. But whatever he took, like he needs to help a friend out, and he's sort of like he can't move, and the only thing that would give him enough energy is cocaine. Oh yeah, <laughs> and and he like he can't he he can his hands aren't functioning, so he can barely open the cocaine. In the background of that scene, uh, a kid is watching a Popeye cartoon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so when he gets the cocaine, and he finally snaps it open. We hear the Popeye music, da 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 da, and he like takes the. Like, Scorsese was having so much fun with I that know. movie. That's a great movie. Great movie. Great thing. Uh, anyway, uh, Wolf of Wall Street, number three, Mad Max Fury Road. Great. Uh, number two, Get Out. Yep. And number one, The Social Network. Okay. Yes. Very, yeah. very respectable, although clearly you love Denis Villeneuve. <laughs> Which is fine. That's fine. Everybody can have a favorite. Well, no, of course. I'm just um, saying. That's clearly you have a favorite. Uh, my top ten of the decade, I had, I think, four films from Mamoru Hosoda. Okay, they're yeah, all tied, true. but oh, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. that's fair. Mm-hmm. We have our, we have uh, our favorites for a reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, here is a letter from Carlos E. Uh, hello, Carlos E. Hi, uh, dear Bibbs and Rockmeister McCool. I hope I spelled that correctly. The spelling has not been uh, finalized, finalized yeah. yet. You're, you're, everyone's cool. This is spelled R O C M E I S T R and McCool M C K O L. I can handle uh, that. You know, I don't want I don't want McCool with a K because that reminds me too much of the cigarette brand. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to shell for. So I'm going to be M C C O O L. That's going to be the McCool. Okay. Although I've also had like C O U L E. I'm surprised you're having an M C capital K E W L. McCule. McCule. Well, it's not McCule, it's McCool. Uh, Apologies. (laughs) All right. Although I did spell it that way in the early 90s because I was uh, in junior high school (laughs) and didn't know anybody. Cool. Everything's cool in the early 90s. Uh, I recently put together my own list of my favorite films of the decade for a personal project, and after hearing your episode of Your Favorites, I was happy to hear that our lists had a few of the same entries. It made me feel seen. Below is my uh, my aforementioned list and a short description as to why I chose it. There's no particular order. It's just how they came to mind. Uh, And then he lists one through five, like, as a tie. Okay. Francis Ha, 
It's such a beautiful day. Mad Max Fury Road. You are never really here. And the Tree of Life. Great picks. Um, these are all movies that we had in common and have nothing else to say because you guys did a lot of great talking on them. That's right. Um, just a quick brief mention to remind our audience to watch It's Such a Beautiful Day, mm-hmm. which I called the best film of the decade. And you was also on your list. I think oh, it was yeah. the only film we had in common on our two the lists. The only film that ended uh, up on both of our picks for the best films yeah. of the decade. And... Um, it is. Yeah, it, it's, it's great. It's just strong and emotionally it's devastating. Only in a way. currently available online, and you have to pay like a couple of bucks for it. Mm. It's worth. It's totally the couple worth of it. bucks. Yeah, yeah, I promise you. Um, number six is Inside Lewin Davis, a mm. film about artistic struggle and bad decisions that hit really close to home at a time when I was going through a similar situation. The speech about someone's artistic talent not being a parlor trick sums up my artistic experience in one scene. This is another one where, if when I first saw it, I respected it, and it grew mm. on me over time. In uh-huh. fact, I ended up calling this the best musical of the decade. Okay, uh, for a thing at the rap, mm-hmm. um, I really do think that there were certain films that were trying to teach us how to handle the reality of growing up and not getting what you want. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Which is a hard lesson to learn, mm-hmm. and I think it's something. It's a lesson that we respect Lewin Davis for trying not to learn, but we also are desperate for him to. Mm. Take the paycheck. <laughs> take the paycheck. Just take the take the, take the paycheck. Uh, and we, and we, we just see be a him, backup band. Just get we, your make a living. Yeah, you know, and we and we see him making bad decisions. Like, oh, we need you to play guitar on this like stupid little novelty tune that Justin Timberlake threw together. Okay, uh, now you can wait to get your paycheck and we you can get yep. some royalties for this uh-huh. or, or we can, can just give you two hundred dollars now. It's like I need the money now, just take it. No 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 we know what ha- we know how this film is gonna work. <laughs> that weird novelty film is the thing that's gonna become a hit. Yeah. Poor guy. <laughs> and that weird novelty hit would have been a weird novelty hit. Oh, it's, it's a fun song. It's like that thing you do. It totally nailed it. It's a great yeah. earworm. It's totally fun. And yeah. It, yeah, it would have been a hit. Uh-huh. It, like the, that thing you do and Dear Mr. Kennedy uh-huh. had come out in the 60s, <laughs> they would have been hit songs. Yeah, they would have. Yeah. Um, number seven, Shirkers, a movie about oh. lost and recovered media that not only acts as a time capsule, but also confronts the idea of how people perceive themselves and others in moments of time, especially how it relates to when you drift apart from your friends. I missed Shirkers. Yeah, I also missed Shirkers. Okay, good I, to I've know. heard a lot of good things about it. Thank you. Number eight, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Uh, I know Rockmeister, that's me, has some narrative problems with this film. Well, it's not just narrative problems. Uh, but I love the energy and the journey this movie takes you on. Although there are, there, if there are any problems I have with this movie, it's that it loses some of its energy before the end of the climax, and the alternate ending was a better narrative choice. Well, the I don't know what the alternate ending was. He ended up with knives instead of Romano. Should have ended up alone. Well, yeah. Here's the <laughs> thing with this. I think Scott Pilgrim is. We were just talking about um, you know style versus mm. narrative. I think Scott Pilgrim is one of the ones that is so incredible and so assured in its mm. styling that I don't think they fully understand that I don't think they adapted that material very well. There are parts of it that are really, really great, but I think they lose yeah. some of the more mature themes of the books. And I think by truncating the amount of time in which the story takes place, that mm. makes all of the relationships seem really shallow and you don't get to build a lot of depth. Yeah. So you don't, and you don't get a lot of time for people to truly mm. grow. You get time for people to decide to grow, yeah. but you don't get to see them actually grow. And I think that's something that 
it's a fault of the adaptation, and maybe it's just hard to adapt that. Maybe it should have been a TV show if they ever did it. Well, I th- there's there's an interesting story in Scott Pilgrim versus the World, but it's not Scott's story. It's Knives' story. Yeah, well, in the book, um, she gets a lot of time. Well, it, and she should be the protagonist, because if you look at it from her perspective, she's a young person who's dating an older person now who's a lot cooler than she is. Or she, so she thinks. Or so she thinks. And she's sort of, like, impressed that he has a band, and that he's, he dresses really cool, and she yeah, she's really young. They have similar interests, though, because he's actually still a little bit arrested. He likes mm. the same kinds of, like, video games and media that she does. And he ends up pretty much just brushing her aside so he can pursue somebody who is cooler than she is. That's all Ramona well, has. also cooler than he is. I, he starts, he replaces himself in that but power dynamic. The point is, the only thing Scott cares about, at least in the context of the film, I don't know about the books, uh, is Scott. Is A, Scott, and B, the only currency they have in his circles is how cool you are. And yeah. cool is dictated by really superficial things. Do you play in a cool enough band? Yeah. Do you wear cool enough clothes? Yeah. Uh, there's no genuineness to anybody like Scott, and they are constantly stabbing each other in the back and insulting each other over these very superficial things. They're superficial assholes. The whole group of them, the only one who isn't is Knives, and she should be the one who realizes, wait a minute, these older people that I've admired this whole time uh-huh. are actually should actually be the villains in my story, and uh-huh. I should learn to grow up and reject that and find my own version of what I think cool is. I, I don't disagree with all mm. of that. I do disagree that she's the only one who's, I think there's other supporting characters who mm. have, like Kim Pine, uh, played by Alison Pill, oh. she's great. But th- that, that's, but, that's, but my that's, point that, is, that's Scott is the worst of the lot. I agree. And I, here's the thing that um. I think comes across in the books, uh-huh. and I think I was blinded to it because I was a fan of the books mm. when I saw the movie. In the books, that's the point. Yeah, the, the in movie. the books, that's that's really something that gets addressed, mm. and by the end of it, we realize that Ramona is not this like vaunted person who's got it all figured out. She's just as fucked up as Scott is, and they come to terms with a lot of those things. Mm. The movie just it has to cut out all of that character stuff, all of those incidental moments mm. that make these people seem real, and they shove it in. They have to just focus on plot because mm. too much to get to. You got yeah, seven yeah. evil ex- ex- exes. Mm-hmm. To defeat in this time, you have to get yeah, to them real I, fast. I, I, and I think that's a sa- I think that's a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. I think it's a calculated sacrifice. Yeah. I think it's a mistake, uh, but I don't think it's a complete wash. And I think stylistically, it's one of the yeah. best films of the decade. Uh, it's, I'm not going to argue with the style, and it's also very funny. Yeah. And, and you're kind of distracted uh, into sort of enjoying this just because the characters are so delightful and their yeah. th- their dialogue is so like snappy. But I feel like at at its heart, it's a film that's celebrating a very specific type of shallow assholeism. I agree, and uh, and also the way they treat Ramona's sexuality is they totally bungle that. They they um, absolutely do the handle yeah. better in the books, but even yeah. in the books, it's not great. I will give you all of that. All right, so I, I, I that's, that's to, a very reason why I just have increasingly disliked that. film. It used as, to be on my best films of the decade. It is not passes. anymore, but yeah. I do still like it a lot more than you do. All right, um, number nine is Heart of a Dog. Laurie Anderson's film about memory and death that starts with a dream of her dog and ends with her memory of the death of her I mother. remember this came out and I never yeah, saw because it, it yeah. sounded sad. <laughs> I, didn't I didn't have to either, and it yeah. just seemed like kind of a bummer, but I remember reading about it and yeah. thinking it sounded really interesting. Yeah. And uh, number nine is Logan Lucky. Oh! Or, excuse me, number ten, excuse me. is oh. Logan Lucky. It's Steven Soderbergh pick. is one of my favorite filmmakers, and this film is one of his warmest and funniest. The part where the protagonist's daughter sings Take Me Home Country Road, and then the crowd joins in always gets me. I'm going to throw it out there. I mm. think that Logan Lucky is Soderbergh's best heist movie. E- even better than Ocean's Eleven? Yeah. Ocean's Eleven is a lot of fun. I think Logan Lucky has more to it. 
Mm-hmm. I think the the supporting cast has more interesting things going on. I think its sense of humor <clears throat> is a bit more odd and engaging. Mm-hmm. Ocean's Eleven is slick and fun, and I like it a lot. Don't get me wrong, but, but I, would, I would rather see Logan Lucky again. There's no bear in the woods sequence in in Ocean's Eleven. Bear <laughs> in the woods. That bear. That is one of my favorite things in a movie this last decade. <laughs> That's at least top fifty. You have to meet the bear out in the woods. The bear in the woods. Okay. They're waiting in the woods, and a guy in a bear suit, you don't see his face, uh, shows walk, up, shows up, drops off what they're looking for, and leaves, and that's all we ever see. He doesn't just leave. He disappears. Oh, like, right. on he camera, he fades away, and they never talk about it. <laughs> they never talk about it. It's, it's like so weird, weird. Weird Twin Peaks moment. I love it so much. <laughs> anyway, here's a letter from Kenny. Hello, okay. Kenny. Hi, uh, Kenny. Hi, Bibbs and Whitney. Oh, uh, Thank you, everybody, for yeah. sending in all of your lists, by the way. Uh, hi, Biz and Winnie. Here are my top 20 movies of the decade, okay. simply because I couldn't get it all, all the way down to 10. All the best. Kenny, um, should I go 1 to 20 or 20 to 1? Your call. All right. I'll, I'll go 1 to 20, because okay. the way Kenny listed it. Um, okay. Number one, Prisoners. More Dennis Villeneuve. Why do people really love it? Number two, Annihilation. That's okay. the first mention of that one. I like Annihilation a lot. I prefer um, Ex Machina, but I get why people yeah. like it. Number three, Silence. Excellent Great choice. Uh, number four, Blue is the Warmest Color. Achingly, uh, yeah. Aching Romance. Great performances. Uh, number six, Tale of Tales. That's a really good movie that nobody talks about. All right. It's a, it's a, a, it's a pastiche film uh, about a lot of different fairy tales in kind of their rawest, purest form. When they're mm. really, they're kind of indistinguishable from horror movies. Mm. Um, and some of them are recognizable. Some of them are stuff you've never heard of before. And... That's a really, really, really good fantasy film. Right. I wish more people had seen it. It's, uh, you get to see Salma Hayek eat a giant heart. Like, <laughs> nice. It's really cool. All right. Uh, number seven, The Neon Demon. We've talked about Great it. Film. Uh, number eight, Mommy. Mommy. Uh, Which one's Mommy? Not Mama. Uh, I don't know Mommy. Wasn't Mommy about the, the twin boys? That's no, no, that, was, that was Good Night Mommy. I don't know Mommy. Yeah, I don't know Mommy. Okay, let's look at that. Right, uh, number nine, L. Okay, great film. Uh, number ten, Spring. Do you know the film Spring, Spring is a horror movie that has come up a lot mm-hmm. uh, on best of the decade horror lists, and it is the one film mm-hmm. on these best of the decade horror lists that I have just consistently not seen. <laughs> like every once in a while, it'll be like one weirdo thing, uh-huh. like oh, I didn't know that was considered that great, but like mm-hmm. yeah, Spring keeps popping up, and I need to see this movie Spring. It is on so many best of the decade horror lists, and I, it's, I haven't seen it. Okay. I just haven't. Spring. Uh, number 11, Interstellar. Okay. Number, number 12, Blade Runner 2049. Yep. Number 13, Logan. Okay. The first mention of Logan, or, or any superhero films for that matter. It's a movie I really deeply admire. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm surprised at how little it stuck with me in some ways, because oh, yeah. it just feels like, you know, it's a final chapter, it's fitting, but mm-hmm. a part of me was really ready to move on, I think. <laughs> so I well, think I've just sort of, I think I just have. Uh, well, I, I was, I've, I've been ready to move on for a while, and a film that says, let's move on, is like, oh, yes, yes, thank you, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Take my hand, you agree. But we're still going to do Dark Phoenix. No, you don't no, have to! No, no, Why? stop, stop, stop we're right done. now. Thank you. Also, New Mutants. No! Also, no, the, X- mean- the X-Men are going to meet the Avengers. No! Well, but that'll be a reboot at the very least. That's a whole new thing. I know. I, st- still, no! I will admit, Everything. Every time I see a trailer for New Mutants, and uh, it's been like five years now, mm. I think to myself, "That looks like it could be fun. Could be fun, like a horror movie set in the X Men universe. That's mm. a good idea." I, re- I remember mm. the original story it was based off of the Demon Bear storyline and Demon the Bear. Yeah, there's a character in the New Mutants who like had the ability to like pull things out of dreams, and she had psychologically traumatized, and she had um, a. I'm, I'm, I might be remembering this slightly mm. wrong, but uh, she had a representation of all the horrors in her life. It was a giant bear. Okay. And that bear started to terrorize the new mutants, and it was like I think Bill Sankiewicz <laughs> did the the, the drawing. Right. Everything was really creepy. Oh, all right. It was Mark um, Texera, but anyway, it was really great. Anyway, uh, number fourteen, The Revenant. 
Okay. Uh, it, it doesn't really stick with I, me. I think that's more technically impressive. Yeah. Um, Tom I, Hardy I has a great speech about God in that yeah, movie. Really uh, awesome. Tom Hardy's really good. I think people didn't like his performance because he's doing it like a Tom Hardy voice. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> um, I, I actually don't like Leo in that movie, but uh, I, I think Leonardo DiCaprio, like there's a scene where he actually like has to pull a, like he pulls a fish out of a river and just sort of eats it raw. Yeah, and he actually and, had to do that. And, and Leonardo DiCaprio actually did that. Okay, that's admi- yeah, admirable. admirable, but he, he took a big bite of the fish and his response was like he spits it out like Leonardo DiCaprio would. A guy who lives in the woods wouldn't do that. A guy yeah, who's starving the way Leonardo DiCaprio would. Yeah, probably just would. chew on it and swallow yeah. and like do it with a straight stony face and that would have been a better performance. My, my thoughts on The Revenant are this. You watch the movie, it's a good movie. Uh-huh. I think um, DiCaprio, it's not his best performance, it's his most painful performance. And I think that when you look at how uh, Inyari 2 won Best Director, I mm-hmm. actually wouldn't have given him Best Director because I think a good director wouldn't have put his actor through that. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think you put him through well, more unless, unless than he, unless he volunteered. I don't care if he volunteered. You know what? Through. I don't actually give a shit if you volunteer. You yeah. shouldn't put your actor through that much. You shouldn't have to. Uh-huh. I really don't think you should have to. Mm-hmm. I'm going to quote uh, 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 the great Swan Olivier. Mm-hmm. Have you tried acting? <laughs> like it just, it's not necessary. You're telling me that that movie would have been significantly worse. Uh-huh. If DiCaprio hadn't frozen to death and put himself in a slimy bear carcass, <laughs> you're telling me that you would have said this is bullshit. That's not real. You would, you're telling me. That's my take on the Revenant. Uh, it's a it's a good movie. I think it's a little, right. a little overblown. Uh, number fifteen is Mad Max Fury Road. Great film. Number sixteen is Philomena. Uh, interesting. That, that was an interesting film. I think Stephen Frears kind of saved that movie because yeah. it was written by Steve Coogan, who yeah. stars in the movie, and. Um, if you haven't seen it, it yeah. kind of it, it's been a long time. Uh, mm. Judy Dench plays a woman uh, who was forced by the Catholic Church to give up her baby for adoption, and they just took it away from her, which mm. was a long-standing, really kind of hellish and horrible practice. Yeah. Um, and now she's an older woman, and there's, she's trying to find what happened to her child. There's a really wonderful film about it called The Magdalene Girls that yeah. I recommend you see. Um, yeah. But it's a good movie. It's, like, she's it's a really good. good movie. She's really good. And uh, Steve Coogan, I think, was trying to write this really kind of uh, straightforward anti-Catholic screed. He was. Yeah. Really, he, he's written about this just in his personal life. You know, sort of his his dissatisfaction with all religious thinking and, yeah. and with the Catholic Church in particular. And he plays a character who is also outwardly atheist. And I think Stephen Frears was much more sensitive to Philomena, yeah, uh, rather than Steve Coogan. Because Philomena, in spite of everything, mm. still Catholic. So, still Catholic, and they, uh, that's yeah. a, that's a lot to reckon with. And I think the movie okay. does a good job. And I think, I think Stephen Frears was more interested in that than Steve Coogan's essentially ranting. I, I look at a lot of Stephen Frears uh, mm. uh, movies, and I think to myself, that's a great character piece, and maybe mm. not an amazing film. Yeah. But like, because I think Philomena is like great acting. There's some great bits in there. Talks about mm. some cool stuff. Not on my list of the yeah. best of the decade, but I understand why it connects to some people, yeah, and I really yeah. appreciate it. You're not the first person I've heard say uh, Final Man is really underrated and was one of your favorite mm-hmm. films of the decade. Well, Stephen Frears made a film called The Program a couple of years ago. Uh, it was a, a biopic of Lance Armstrong in the doping scandal. Mm. Ben Foster played Lance Armstrong. Yeah. It's awesome. He made a great Nobody com- talked about it. He made a great com- I had to re- I, re- uh, I did an article for The Wrap that was the best comic book movies of the decade that weren't about superheroes. Oh. And there were a few noteworthy ones that I missed, and I'm really glad I made time for Stephen Frears' film Tamara Drew. Okay. Uh, which was an adaptation of a comic uh, that was basically a modern retelling of Far From the Madding Crowd, starring Gemma Arterton. Gemma. Mm. Uh, Gemma Arterton, who cannot catch a break. She's <laughs> absolutely wonderful in everything, and for whatever reason, her movies never hit. Uh, it's really funny. It's really sweet, and it actually has some really complex ethical thoughts in its head, and it's really good. Yeah. 
Uh, let's see. Number 17, Wolf Totem. Do you know Wolf Totem? I don't. Sounds like a full moon film. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to look that up earlier. That sounds interesting. All right. uh, Number 18 is The Skin I Live In. Uh, Uh, I missed that one. I heard that was good. Number 19 is Life of Pi. And number number 20 is Seven Psychopaths. You know. Which I I know has its defenders. It has a lot of defenders. Mm. I find it to be one of those movies about the industry that's just kind of self-congratulatory and kooky for its own sake. Mm Mm-hmm. I also know a lot of people who really love it, so maybe right. I'm in the wrong on that one. Right. Um, here is a letter from Canadian Keith uh-huh. uh, listing his favorite films of the decade. Uh, Wolf, uh, Wolf oh, Totem uh, is about nomadic herdsmen of Mongolia. Ooh. And about a is young a Chinese... Um, I don't think so. All right. Yeah, it's a drama. Okay. Yeah. Cool. About a, kid becomes right. about a kid who becomes obsessed with wolves. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, Canadian Keith... Oh, thank you for writing it. Thank you. Uh, Canadian Keith says, Hi! Uh, Bibbs and the Rockmeister McCool, formerly known as The Professor. Uh-huh. Uh, my viewing preferences tend to skew toward family-friendly fare. These are my personal favorites of the decade that I watch again and again. Great. Number 10, Captain Underpants. Yay! <laughs> Captain Underpants is sublime. Captain Underpants is the closest we'll probably ever come to getting a Calvin and Hobbes movie. And if we ever get a Calvin and Hobbes movie, first of all, this is probably the closest we'll ever get to getting a good one. We're going to get a Calvin and Hobbes movie, like, the day Bill Watterson dies. Yeah, someone's like, going to just Watterson, sweep that out. Bill Watterson has been sit, sitting on the licensing, and good for him. He wants oh, the bet, art to stand on its own. I will bet you anything, uh-huh. right now, I'll bet you anything, Bill Watterson has it in his will, that yeah, no one can make a goddamn go. Calvin and Hobbes movie until, like, at least 100 <laughs> years after he's dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I really do. Um... Captain, does he, does he say anything about Captain? Uh, yeah, it says, fun, silly movie, perfect for the child in me, with a great example of true friendship, and a theme by Weird Al Yankovic. Absolutely. So, great theme. I should have been nominated for an Oscar, that theme. It's just a great <laughs> film about children's imagination, children, I think. And, and in a really way, um, fun, like, even though it's silly and there's fantastic elements, I believe the imagination behind it. Here, here's a weird comment. It understands the true emotional impact over the bonding of a fart joke. Yeah. Uh, when when you're when you're seven years old and you giggle at the same fart joke and you giggle in the same way, that is a much more meaningful relationship than any romance you can show me. <laughs> There's something so pure about that. I really appreciate you're it. You're not wrong. Yeah. Uh, right. Number nine is Boyhood, okay. uh, a unique movie that I spent more than a decade looking forward to, and for the most of, for the most part, it didn't disappoint. Yeah, I I love Boyhood. It's really terrific. When he's a huge fan, I admire mm-hmm. the shit out of it, but it's not my favorite. Okay. Number eight, Les Misérables. I could listen to this movie. I could listen to this movie on repeat all day. I tried it and I didn't get tired of it at all. I assume you mean Tom Hooper's musical Les Mis- Misérables. That, would, that not, would make sense. Not L- Lady Lies more recent cop drama. Probably so. Especially yeah. it's not really a musical. Mm-hmm. Um. I think the Broadway soundtrack's better than mm. the the movie one. <laughs> However, you know, that's why one of the reasons why these movie versions of mm. Broadway musicals can be effective is that they introduce us to something we might not otherwise have seen that's if we didn't true. get the Broadway. I, 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 knew, I knew the music from Les Miserables. I knew the music yeah. from Cats. So I'm not impressed like, by the, the first time hearing it in these movies. Like, I actually hadn't really known most of the music from mm. Cats. I'd heard some of it, and then I saw the movie, and I'm like, I should listen to the original version of Cats. So much better. <laughs> Um, well, that's that's why I think I, I didn't connect with Chicago. Yeah, it's like I, yeah, I, I, I had spent years listening to that '96 revival with BB Newworth, and that's awesome. 
uh-huh. just listen to the cassette over and over again. And this mu- this new movie comes out. It's like, what are you doing? You can argue this is less interesting version of the same music. You can argue that maybe we've set our expectations based off of previous versions, and we weren't given the new version a shot. You can mm-hmm. argue that. I think that's perfectly reasonable. However, I do think it's fair to say that a lot of contemporary musical adaptations mm-hmm. cast a lot mm-hmm. of actors who aren't really singers. And uh, <laughs> there are certain people in Les Miserables who do great. I think Hugh Jackman's really good. I well, think Anne Hathaway's he, really good. He was trained on stage. Agreed. And Anne Hathaway can sing. Anne Hathaway can sing. She's only got one number, but she belts it. And yet, Russell Crowe, the one with multiple records. Yeah. <laughs> he's really he's miscast. A, he's abysmal in that He's movie. really miscast. He's maybe the worst casting of the decade. Yeah. yeah like, yeah. I can't think of, like, a, him and January Jones in X-Men First Class. <laughs> She looks the part, you but she hurt. looks like the comic book come to life. She was not engaged with that material at all. You can't hurt me when I'm in diamond form. <laughs> I don't think that's actual dialogue, but there's something to, to that Just effect. About right, something about yeah. being in diamond form. Uh, number seven, Sunshine on Leaf. I miss uh, this. This was supposed to be a so good. A low-budget musical from Scotland that a few people saw based on the music of The Proclaimers, Totally My Jam. Now, I love The Proclaimers The Proclaimers. So um, picture Greg Proops. <laughs> now picture two of him. Yeah. And, that's, and picture them Scottish, and that's The Proclaimers. They did 500 Miles. That's their big hit, at least in America. Yeah, and it wasn't, even, it wasn't even new at the time. It was just uh, uh, was, Mary Stuart Masterson was a big fan. Oh, and, and she, she was the one who insisted it be she, in Benny and June? That's a story I've okay. heard. That it was become like this, be part of the Benny and June soundtrack. And it's such a damn catchy song that they mm-hmm. were a one-hit wonder in America. Overseas, they're just hit songwriters. They're, they're just gigantic. Yeah, um, Listen to all their albums. They're you, catchy. They're you, funny. You they're romantic. Back, yeah, you go back to Scotland. The Proclaimers are everywhere. Um, they were so popular. They did have a jukebox musical written about them called Sunshine on Leith. Leith is a town in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I think it's where they're from. And, and there's a song there's called, a song called Sunshine, 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 Sunshine and Leith. Such a beautiful song. Uh, they made a film. I don't think it opened in America. I'm not no, entirely not, sure. Not, not in the it, United States. It was Probably directed in- by Dexter Fletcher, who went mm-hmm. on to direct Rocket Man. Okay. And who would try to make Bohemian Rhapsody until they gave it to Brian Singer. And then when Brian Singer was mm-hmm. Brian Singer, they brought in Dexter Fletcher to finish it. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, he's got passion for yeah. this kind of... Because you see Rocket Man, and it's just like, okay, that's how you make a jukebox musical. Mm. That's how you do that. Uh, that's bi- Biography musical. Yeah, yeah. Well, but it's still, like, it wasn't intended to be a musical. They took Elton John's songs, mm. and they applied it to a biopic about him. That's how you do that. <laughs> so if Sunshine on Leith is even, is even remotely as good as Rocket Man, I'm going to love that musical, All and right. I really need to get around to it. Yeah, uh, number six is Inside Out. Wonderful pick. I think that's Pixar's best movie. Fair uh, enough. And he says, Pixar doing what it does best. Number five, Gravity, which was on your best of the decade. It was. I love that uh, movie. A harrowing thrill ride with excellent effects that tries to play fair with science. Mm-hmm. Ish. Reasonably. Uh, reasonably. Yeah, reasonably reasonably well. movie. As, as much as Star Trek does. As so, much yeah, as yeah. Interstellar or The Martian yeah. do. You know, like mm. you have to make some things up. I, I think The Martian is far more heart science, but yeah. Even that. Yeah. Even though um, they, have to, they have to fudge a little bit. Number four, Tron Legacy. My, yeah, my perfect, pick. quote, fun movie that both respects and updates a silly cult classic. Uh, completely I, immersive in thanks large in thanks large part to Daft Punk's excellent score. I think Daft Punk is the saving grace of Tron Legacy. I really do love the, the mm. way that, um, oh, is it Joe? Um, Kosinski. Joe Kosinski. Mm. I love the way that Joe Kaczynski sort of translates the imagery of the original Tron into something that looks like the most awesome screensaver. <laughs> I really like, do it's think all it's like neon tubes and lit up glass panels. I think that's one of the most stylish, at least would be blockbusters mm. of the decade. I think it is really, really gorgeous. <clears throat> Soundtrack is great. I think it's got really big ideas. 
doesn't necessarily explore them terribly well, mm. but I actually really love Tron Legacy a lot. But if, if you go back to Tron, it's like, oh, here's an interesting idea that we're not going to talk about. And here's an yeah. interesting idea we're not going to talk but about. But Tron's kind of boring, and I would argue that Tron Legacy is not. I think Tron Legacy uh, at least zooms along. I, I, I appreciate that weird sort of gritty, multi-layered, like, photographic effects that they laid over all the computer scenes in the yeah. original Tron. Oh, it's, it's, it's an it's, interesting film stylistically. Yeah, it's just, just really, narratively. Odd, really odd aesthetic. Well, they talked about how <laughs> when they made the original Tron, all of those visual effects were something that had to be planned months and months in advance, and mm-hmm. as a result, you were locked into the earliest possible version of the script and the storyboards, yeah, and they couldn't like, change mm-hmm. later on, even for things like pacing, and as a result, they kind of shot themselves in the foot. Mm-hmm. So... Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, I dug it as a kid. I, yeah. I haven't watched it in a while. But, it, it's slow, um, but it, there's still cool stuff in it. Number three, Big Eyes. A fascinating <sighs> true story with uh, with excellent performances. Yes. Love that I, I really love Big much. Eyes. Number two, Room. First mention of Room. Oh, yeah, the Brie Larson uh, film, yeah. Effectively told from Jack's perspective, his big moment in the middle was emotionally harrowing and exhilarating. And number one, When Marnie Was There. Ah! I love that movie. Uh, having seen every Ghibli film, this one is one of my personal favorites from the studio. The mystery of Marnie draws you in, and the res- resolution plays totally fair and emotionally resonant way for me. Um, I gotta admit, that's the one Ghibli film I was just disappointed in. Oh, no, I love that movie yeah. a lot. I feel like there, that's a film... There aren't a lot of kids' films that understand and respect introversion. Mm-hmm. So many kids' movies are about, oh, are you introverted? Oh, that just means you haven't been invited to play! Mm-hmm. Come! Let's do crazy things and you'll never get emotionally exhausted or socially awkward. <laughs> and I think when Marnie was there... <laughs> I think when Marnie was there... Because I've always been, the, as far as like introvert, extrovert goes, I've always been kind of a tweener. Uh-huh. Like I can be extroverted from short bursts, mm-hmm. but then I need to recoil into a, into a room for a while. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of people I've always been like friends with and like attracted to as people have been introverts. Okay. And I've come to really understand that introvert it's it's not something that like needs to be fixed the way that movies tell you it does where you just need to bring brought out of your shell. Mm. When Marnie was there I think appreciates and respects people who need emotional quietude okay. and only make connections with a few people but those connections mean everything. Um, I think it's a really beautiful, intimate movie. It, it didn't obviously make my like best of the year or even the decade, but mm. I think it's a dramatically underrated Studio Ghibli film. I really do love it a lot. Okay. Yeah, well, thank you for writing in. Yeah, that's great. Um, here is a letter from Jonathan. Um, okay, I'm Jonathan, I'm, you've given us your top ten list, but you've given like gigantic essays on each entry. Okay. So I'm going to give you a, li- a little bit uh, from from each entry. Yeah, um, sorry about that. So, we're, we're, we need to... Yeah. We're, running on, we're running low on time. Yeah, anyway. Uh, hey, Bims and Winnie, I love you guys' lists, and I wanted to share with you mine. My friends say I'm the movie guy, so... I, we've, always, we've all been the movie we're, guy. We're the critics. We understand There's that. a decent yeah. chance that if you've written into this film criticism mm-hmm. show, you're the movie guy or person in your group of friends. Mm-hmm. Kudos. Welcome. Yeah. So at at the end of the year, I did a series of lists looking back on the decade because I wanted to cover a whole bunch of areas. I did uh, five top ten lists, although I had several uh, ties or pairings. The first was movies I liked more than popular opinion. Mm -hmm. Then the movies I wish I had found a bigger audience. The best blockbuster movies, the best awards bait movies, in quotes. And finally, my personal favorites are movies that had the biggest impact on me or I saw myself in. Okay. Uh, I decided to share that list with you as I think those sorts of lists are typically the most interesting and revealing about a person. I agree. I don't expect you to share the whole explanation on the podcast uh, if I'm fortunate enough to have this read, but I thought I'd have my original explanations anyway because they seem like the sort of thing you might enjoy in general. Okay. Uh, Thank you for understanding in advance. Yeah. 
Uh, and oh, and as a handy guide, I have bolded what I would prefer to you to read on the oh, podcast. Yay! So thank you. That's for, very for thoughtful. Me, uh, yeah. Thank um, you for that. Sorry if this all seems extra. It seems like uh, I like talking about my favorite movies. Uh, I, we love that you love talking about um, movies. We're the kind of people who did this before we did this professionally. <laughs> <yep>. So <laughs> we'll never judge you mm-hmm. for it. Thank you for your enthusiasm and thank you for sharing. Did, and let's dig in. Did you ever get an email from a friend that says, "Stop sending me your lists"? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Here's all the movies I saw. Here's my top ten. Stop sending me your list. I don't care. Uh, number ten is a tie. Okay. Uh, between Wonder and Mary Poppins Returns. I saw neither of these. Yeah, um, I, I, I mildly boycotted Mary Poppins Returns just because I was kind of yeah. mad that Disney got to make it, whereas Peter yeah, Travers you know, kind of didn't want her, want them to. Like, like I think like the day. The, like much, to, to the minute when the rights opened up, they started production on Mary Poppins Returns. Yeah, pretty much. It was like yeah. so disrespectful. But I miss anyway, Wonder just because it, I miss it. And anyway, the, the bolded area of the explanation is they both heavily feature themes about importance of multiple points of view, but tackle them in different ways. Nice. Okay. I, I'm, I'm sure there are things to like about that Mary Poppins mm-hmm. movie. I was just kind of mad. I'll get around to it eventually. Yeah. Uh, number nine, Dr. Sleep. Yay! That's uh, a good pick. I, I know you're a big fan of Dr. Huge, Sleep. Huge um, fan of Dr. Sleep. I think it's great. Dr. Sleep covers cycles of trauma, how they linger and fester and spread outwards to others. It also quietly shows cycles of kindness and how they can overcome cycles of grief and pain, alcoholism, child abuse, depression, fear, loneliness, all broken by acts of kindness, empathy, compassion, and courage. I love the way Dr. Sleep mm. treats the original The Shining mm. as something that definitely happened, but... It happened, the way we saw it was like that child's traumatic memory of it. Yeah. yeah. That's the way Dr. Sleep treats The Shining. So, like, you can fudge a little bit and say, like, Mm. maybe this didn't happen exactly that way, Mm. but it's the way Dan remembers it. Okay. And I think that's a really clever way to do that sequel. I think it really, and it Mm -hmm. contributes to that theme of the film that he's talking about. Cyclical Mm. uh, stories of abuse, substance abuse, Mm. and indeed kindness. Great film. Mm. Also, gas vampires. Also, gas vampires? What are you mad about gas vampires? That's awesome. Because it's so stupid. Stupidly awesome. Uh, Awesomely stupid. Um, Number eight is also a tie. Mm. Still Alice and Gleason. Um, I don't know Gleason. I don't know Gleason. Uh, My mom had a stroke when I was eight years old. It it affected her in a lot of ways, primarily leaving her partially paralyzed and her speech impaired. Both films remind me of the remarkable strength of my own mother in different ways, and it's the simplest thing I can do uh, is to always do whatever I can to help her maintain her dignity. That's incredibly beautiful. Yeah. Uh, Gleason, for those uh, who don't know, I just, I just looked it up. Mm. It's a documentary film uh, about a n- former New Orleans Saints football defensive back named oh, Steve what? Gleason, who, uh, ended, who had the ALS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, the film's about infirmity and maintaining yeah. dignity through infirmity. That, yeah, that's, that, yeah, that's really that's, wonderful. Yeah, it is great. Um, number seven, also a tie, Sing Street and La La Land. Okay. Two musicals released within nine months of each other, advocating the importance of art at a time when I was floundering because I had no creative outlet. Both reflect how art form our identities, express ourselves, and help us, help us discover ourselves. That's a great um, takeaway from those movies. Mm-hmm. I'm not the biggest. I think Sing Street has one of the best soundtracks of the decade. Mm-hmm. Just damn catchy music through and through. Really, really fun. Um, I find it on the edge of schmaltzy, but that's it's, fine. It's that's Richard Curtis joint, right? No, no, no it's, I see what you think. That yeah. <laughs> no, it's from the it's from the guy who did. Um, oh, he did Begin once. again and once. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I like it. I mm. think there are things that really really work about it. I I didn't really fall in love with it. All right. And La La Land, there are things it does really really well, but we're both on record for thinking that's a little overrated. But. Mm. It sounds like you took away important things from it, and hmm. we can't debate that. That's yeah, really important yeah. to you. Good for you. I'm glad those movies had that impact. Yeah, well, we we just whinge about sort of the the bad 
you know, staging of the yeah. rest of that music. And uh, but if you but if that's not the important that's, thing, yeah, if, yes. if that's not if you, the, the state the staging has nothing to do with what you're talking about. Yeah, so that's fine. That's really um, wonderful. Number six is Swiss Army Man. I missed uh, this, this movie. movie. This movie is exactly my kind of weird ass shit. <laughs> despite the bonkers premise, it basically captures the essence of what it means to be alive and want to stay alive despite all the anxieties, pressures, and insecurities that come with it. Yeah, that's how I felt about Gravity. But yeah, yeah. Swiss Army Man is about a guy, and I, I haven't seen this one, but it's about Donald Gleason is on a deserted island, mm. and the only person there with him is the corpse of Daniel Radcliffe, and, and, and he's... he learn, <laughs> learns to turn a human corpse into the kind of tool he needs to survive. So he's carting car- his corpse around with him, like shoving things into its mouth and writing it on lakes. And I love that that movie has found an audience so many years later. Because <laughs> yeah. I remember when it first came I'm out, it was like it. kind of novel. Yeah. But I was like five yeah. years later, whatever, people are still talking about Swiss Army Man. That's great. <laughs> That's so great. Uh, number five is another tie. The Babadook and It Follows. Great picks. Uh, both show how dealing with horrific circumstances can lead us to leaves us susceptible to paranoia yep. that infects our everyday life that makes simply going to school a nightmare or even turns us into unrecognizable minds. Monsters. We talked about It mm. Follows uh, on our Best of the Decade mm. episode, and I mentioned that the film I might replace it with on your list would be The Babadook. Would be the Babadook Those are yeah. easily two of the best horror movies yeah. of the decade. Um, uh, it says, and both show that while healing from pain, the grief, and the trauma is possible, it never goes away completely. That's true. But it can be managed and allow hope for the future. Very true. Uh, number four is Inside Out. Uh, the single best, clearest depiction and explanation of depression I have ever seen, and my favorite Pixar movie. Inside Out is a mental health godsend, mm. decrying the cult of always seeming happy no matter what, and reminding us that sadness has a purpose and gives birth to the most important mental health tool around empathy. Yes, thank you. That's um, very beautiful. It's Not only is it beautiful, coming as it does... I meant the writing was beautiful. Oh, the writing was, yeah. Yeah, com- he, he com- put it very well. Yeah, uh, coming as it does from... A cartoon company hmm. that has sold that message for the better part of a century hmm. is not just novel, it's revolutionary. I, I think Pixar has been actively trying to undo a lot of the, essentially, the moral damage Disney has done to the child's mind yeah. in saying everything has a happy ending, yep. you need to feel joy all the time, come to Disneyland, it's the happiest place on earth, yeah. everything is happy, happy all the time. Yeah. Inside Out is one of the few films that says feeling sad and learning to understand what bittersweet emotions are yeah. is the sign of growth and maturity. I agree. Like she actually grows up when she realizes that happiness and sadness can blend, and that's okay. No, no, no. I, I, um, I love it. It's, well, it's not my favorite Pixar, but it's right up there. It's really uh, good. The more I think about Monsters University, mm-hmm. the more I enjoy it because the ultimate message is another one of those sort of anti-happiness things about how if you work hard and pursue your dream, you can be whatever you want. Here's a film that argues you can work hard and pursue your dream and still suck at it. And what I love and is that what it, you need to find. Is is actually a talent. Yeah. Something you find you didn't expect that you might actually be really good at. And what I love about that is how mm. it actually ends up. That, I think Monsters mm. University is legitimately one of, if not the best prequels we've ever had. <laughs> because sure. it actually interacts with the original one really, really well. Because the original Monsters Incorporated, you'll remember, because the whole his dream in Monsters University was he wants to be the most scary monster ever, but he's too mm. funny. Yeah. The end of Monsters University, we find out that laughter is more powerful than fear. And him <laughs> so being funny, actually, he does get what he mm. wants, but it's just he had to be, he had to pursue what he was actually good at. Mm. 
was great to discover that. It yeah. worked out. It took him twenty years or something like that, but he, he got there, and I think that's a valuable lesson too. So as it, it turn, you know, so as it turns out, the uh, the ending of Monsters Inc. was the start of Mike's second act, as it were. It really is. I, I love how those movies interact with each other. I think they're really great. Yeah. Uh, number three is Cloud Atlas. Okay. The Wachowskis and Tom Tickver made an out of out and out masterpiece that covers six unique stories, time periods, and genres, all with one central cast of actors appearing in different hairstyles, makeup, and prosthetics. It champions love and kindness as a means to tear down artificial barriers and boundaries that people create to oppress one another from age to race to gender to sexuality to class to religion to anything else you can think of. I... I totally get that take on Cloud Atlas. Mm-hmm. And when I first saw it, I think I had that takeaway too. Then I started listening yeah. to more people talk about the way that that movie uses the casting of various actors throughout different uh, generations mm-hmm. as different ethnicities. Mm-hmm. And how like whatever. just is an Asian man. Yeah, and ones, how yeah. whatever the intent was to break free of those boundaries, they ended up playing into that. Mm-hmm. And as a result, I think it's a movie that may have been a little naive. But there's a lot of good stuff in it. But there's, it's naive. But I think it's naive in the service of something very innocent. Not, not. Mm. There, there's nothing. I agree. I just nothing uh, caustic about Cloud Atlas. I, I wouldn't say it's caustic, mm. but I do believe that there. I, I, we talked about this a little bit when we talked about um, the use of racism in Guy Ritchie movies and mm. how there's a different narrative. There's what works for the film, but then the film doesn't exist in a vacuum. It exists mm. in a. Uh, we live in a society, if you will, <laughs> and we do need to think about the impact that a movie has beyond the, its own narrative. Mm-hmm. So I see that other narrative now, and as a result, Cloud Atlas has lost a little bit for me, but okay. I, the ambition is totally there. Yeah. I think Sense8 ultimately does what Cloud Atlas does only better. That's okay. also from the Wachowskis and Tom Tickford. Right. However... Cloud Atlas, totally get it. All right. Yeah. Uh, number two is uh, a tie between Frozen and Frozen 2. Uh, across two movies and a stage musical, I think Frozen is about overcoming insecurity and outside mm-hmm. pressures to really just be yourself and damn what the world thinks. It's no accident that the best song in this whole series is called Show Yourself. Um, you know, I finally caught up to Frozen 2. Mm-hmm. Didn't dig it. <laughs> I, I, get, I think I get why people do. I find it a little sort of narratively muddy. Mm. I don't think it's very clean and clear, and, and not in a way that it like it needs it, to be, but like yeah, it well, just I just think it's not as sharp and mm. as thematically resonant as the original. But I love the original. Also, it's one of those films that um, it's a sequel. It plays into all of the iconography and everything you know about the characters from the original. But the whole story is about like growing up and letting go of the past, which doesn't play well. Not quite. No. Uh, you know, unless unless they actually had the balls to destroy Rivendell, which they didn't. Uh, <laughs> Arendelle or Arendelle, whatever. Um, no, they didn't. Yeah, you're right. They 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 didn't actually burn it all down. Mm. They, they they which basically made the point. So none of this was necessary. So we should burn it all down, but we're not going to. So it doesn't uh, matter. Like none, there are no. Con- <laughs> ah. But uh, yeah, Frozen. I know a lot of people uh, latched on to "Let It Go" as a, a mm-hmm. sort of personal anthem, and I, I can't deny its power. It's great. That is a bar- great. burn burner of a song. It is the show-stopping number. It's the reason it's on stage. It's the reason the movie was successful. Let's be honest. It's a, well, yeah, uh, it had a, it had it, it achieved instant iconic status yeah, because yeah, of that. Yeah. It became an event because of that song. Because of that and one I think, song. Oh, yeah. I think, and I think the rest of the movie mostly supports. I think we mm-hmm. could have done without the troll song about fixer uppers. Yeah. Probably didn't need that. But or, what's a great movie without one embarrassing moment, huh? Or, or either of the boyfriend characters cut them out entirely. Oh, or the snowman. Just get them all. Get the get boyfriend all the characters are good. Man. I like the boyfriend characters because they're both red herrings. They're both red herrings. They're yeah, both red, especially, especially the first one. But mm-hmm. like we, the whole idea is. 
It's going to be think, about you know, these two this falling is, in love, but it's not about yeah. those two characters at all. It's not. Even mm. the even and even at the end, when you think it's going to be about oh, he, this guy is going to say that no sisters. It's mm. only about everything else is a distraction, <laughs> and you shouldn't have been distracted by it. It's such a matter more than anything else. <coughs> Excuse me. I, I think the film is very much overwritten. I think mm. it, it would have been a really tight eighty-minute. Uh, cell animated film from like the 50s and uh, and it just fell prey to all of the, the worst problems of modern animation. Yeah. Uh, and number one is Short Turn 12. You know uh, I miss Short Turn 12. Uh, some of its most powerful scenes are teenagers expressing pain, sadness, and rage through art, continuing what I know must feel like an exhausting running theme of my list, but I think about both of those scenes every goddamn day without fail. This isn't just my favorite film of the decade, it's my favorite film Ever. Oh, that's nice. Uh, thank you so much for all you do and taking the time to read this, even if it doesn't make the podcast. Well, it did. It did. Uh, thank you so much. Um, those lists kind of took over this podcast this week. Yeah, and, but, and, and we still have a few others, but we'll save them for another time. And, and I think next time we're going to do a little harder to vary it up a little bit and oh. add the other content as well. But I'm really, really glad we got to give everyone a voice. Yeah. Got, and, uh, and by all means, please keep sending them in if you haven't already. Mm. Please do. We're just my do more different kinds of letters mm. as well next time. But it's so exciting to see like what art has really connected to, with people, even if it's not what I like and yeah. we get to have that sort of rebuttal here sometimes, but as much as possible, I want to be entirely respectful of this is the art that made your decade. <laughs> That's beautiful, man. That's yeah, and- really beautiful. Absolutely. I, I appreciate hearing from it. And like I said, if somebody lists it on as like the best of the decade, I have my views on it. I whined about Scott Pilgrim plenty. Sure. But, uh, yeah, I whined about Frozen 2 just now. Uh, uh, but um, getting, getting this sort of map of sort of our listeners' brains mm-hmm. is, is a fascinating experience. I'm and, impressed and, by you. Like... Understanding that somebody looks at these films and sees some, some of the best art they've ever seen mm-hmm. does give me a little bit pause, even when I am bitching about Scott Pilgrim. I'm impressed, honestly, because mm. there's this weird, weird narrative that people have created in their heads that critics aren't audiences and that we have totally yeah. different tastes. And yeah, you know, our, our listeners are, are writing in, and some of the movies that they like aren't on our list. We didn't put Frozen on our list, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. That's considered somewhat mainstream. But every the, everyone has these like different movies that connected with them. Think of some of the stuff that we had. We had Support the Girls on here. We had mm-hmm. Short Term Twelve come up. We had Columbus. We had so many wonderful <laughs> had, movies that so many people, underpants. So many people assume that non critics don't care about. Mm-hmm. And people do care about them. They care about them a lot. Yeah. And they really matter to people. And I'm actually about to cry a little bit. That's just Aww. so <laughs> beautiful that all these movies are finding an audience. Um, that's great. I just mm. want to say, and listen, if you've heard anything on this episode of We've Got Mail and E titles uh, that you're unfamiliar with, just like Whitney and I did, mm. we, there was a, there's a handful like Wolf Totem. Never heard of it. I might look into that. If there's anything you haven't seen, if it sounds interesting, check it out. If you didn't see Support the Girls, see Support the Girls. If you didn't see Short Term 12, see Short Term 12. Um, the mo- all of them. Yeah, most importantly, if, if there was a film that uh, somebody mentioned as the best of the decade and you saw and just weren't really thinking about it, uh-huh. I think those are the most valuable to re- re-evaluate. Yeah, because now clearly now you have you- a shared moment, you experience mm. the same thing, but someone took away something profound, they have a and we didn't. Actually, a different perspective on it. Yeah. So yeah, that's That's, uh, that's how we grow. And then some of the films that we talked about that... Um, used to be my favorite films. I mm. heard other people's perspectives. Cloud Atlas was mm. was one example. 
Scott Pilgrim was another example. Whitney's perspective uh, started to rub off on me. And I started to think about it from in different ways. And I think I grew a little bit as a person and as a person who talks about, writes, and about, and consumes art. Mm. I think I'm a more interesting human being for listening to those perspectives. And yeah. I want to thank you for sharing all of yours, and we're going to take them as much to heart as we can. Mm. Um, so thank you, everybody, for listening to We've Got Mail. If you want to write in, uh, and again, you don't have to write in a list of the best decade if this is your first just episode. The theme, just the theme of this episode. Yeah, well, yeah. last episode we talked about several as well. Mm. But uh, yeah, you, don't, you can talk to about anything at all. Any mm. questions, recommendations, anything, listen to our previous episodes for ideas, if you want. Um, Write in letters at criticallyacclaimed.net, and we'll read your stuff on the air. We read as much as we possibly can. We can't get to everything, but we try. Mm. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter, at Critic I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. Uh, we're on Patreon, patreon.com slash network. We have bonus content on there. You can vote for future episodes of Cancel Too Soon in particular. Also, our monthly series, The Big List. Also, stick around, because our new Star Wars podcast, Episode Zero is going to be coming out in the next couple of weeks, and we are going to be talking about all of the classic films that inspired Star Wars, rather than just talk about Star Wars itself. Mm. And I'm really, really excited about it, and we need to do a little bit of brainstorming before we get started, <laughs> and we need to set a solid start date, mm. but I... It's re- coming soon. I'm super stoked about this podcast, mm. you guys. We, really we've announced wait. it, so it's coming soon. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, other cool stuff is hanging out here in the Critically Acclaimed Network, but this network itself is totally free. If you can't afford to mm-hmm. pay on Patreon... Leave us a review if you want to help us out. That really helps people find the show. Uh, mm-hmm. Talk about it on Twitter. Um, anything at all really, really helps. Um, regardless, thank you everybody who wrote in. Thank you everybody for listening. And um, sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney.